0: Okay, testing here.
1: Hey, there you are. Okay, good. It's like you were talking and then all of a sudden it just started stuttering like mad.
0: Well, after I guess that started that's when I started hearing you guys break in and but I only heard like every third word and then I'm like And then the thing just said disconnected. I'm like, "Oh, okay."
1: That's what we were hearing from your end. It was just starting to go like Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Not useful talking then, huh?
2: No, not so much. Not particularly.
1: Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that knows that it's New Year, new season. I'm your host, Rob.
0: Kevin. Dennis.
1: I uh, know Richard today. His voice is kind of cutting out on him, so he said uh, for us to go ahead and record without him. So we hope he starts feeling better soon, but he'll be with us in spirit. And uh this episode, it's our first episode of 2023, and being a new year also means that a new season of 40k is about to drop. And uh so we are here to talk about the Arcs of Omen, both the competitive grand tournament pack and the uh first book in the Arcs of Omen narrative series. Uh but before that, as always, news and new releases, and uh our first news and new release is the Balanced Data Slate. Um the Balanced Data Slate and the uh points updates, I believe, have were released with the MetaWatch article that mm-hmm. uh dropped a few days ago uh, a couple days that was great yeah well they also admittedly they dropped it a couple of days earlier than i think they were originally planning <laughs> right. because there was a little uh item about a leak that happened on a stream uh, i'm not going to get into a lot of the details on it but uh li- somebody got a little sloppy with the ndas so yeah uh, so they decided to just move ahead and uh, get that information out there that did not release information about like the mission pack and such but like the points updates and the balance data slate were were leaked and so might as well just get that in front of everyone and uh there's definitely some uh major changes uh spec and i would say more on the balance data slate side than on the point side there there's definitely some points updates but The biggest ones, points-wise, would be yet another point nerf to Leagues of Votan, because apparently they're still too good. Yeah, and Mm -hmm. I still haven't
0: played a real game with them.
1: (laughs) 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 And then a lot of changes to Space Marines, especially in the lines of free equipment. Like, a lot of equipment purchases are just rolled into, like they're rolled into the cost of the
0: units. At least it's just free equipment, because wasn't it the end of 7th edition or something where Space Marines were getting free transports, free equipment, oh, and it was yeah. just... <laughs> I hope yeah. this is not the start of something like that.
1: F- formations and stuff like that. No, it's no, not no, that I, bad. I, that. <laughs> it's degranularizing yes. a lot of army yeah. building. And we saw that like, a lot of the Chaos Space Marine stuff was, like, don't have like, unit costs like legionnaires like you buy you pay for a balefire tome and that's it like that's the only upgrade you have
0: i'll jump on the space marine side of it of like i was just for fun like building like 500 point just little training lists and on the space wolves i noticed i could pack so much more in the list because the terminators like you said all their little five point upgrades weren't there Mm -hmm. anymore so my squad of five terminators got a lot cheaper, so I could put two in there. I was like, this is cool. So, I, I think it will make a big difference in the fact that you'll see more Space Marine bodies on yep. the board.
2: Right. Well, I wonder if this is, you know, and I, I know we've obviously, the conversation about 10th edition, stuff like that, which we'll get to, I'm sure, with the Arcs of Omen book, but it does make me wonder if again, <clears throat> if, again, this is kind of the new design philosophy. Let's well, make list building a little bit simpler, let's cut out some of the upgrades, let's try to streamline it a little bit. I don't know. Like It seems like they're really hitting it hard for Space Marines, and maybe it's more of a balanced thing than a future design philosophy, but if the future design philosophy is that upgrades are going to be like less important and kind of rolled into the cost, I'm fine with that.
0: It might be a bit of both, because truthfully, power levels were supposed to be your easy way of mm-hmm. doing that, and all of your upgrades are supposed to be balanced enough that... You'd plan on taking them, and if you had to take one or the other, they should be, in theory, approximately equal power. I mean, yeah. we know they're not always, but they're, they're yeah, trying. Yeah. I'm going to
1: throw a term here that's going to start fight somewhere the Age of Sigmarization of Warhammer 40K. Ooh, spicy! Uh, no clue. <laughs> well, the reason yeah. no, the reason I say that is an age no, of we still Sigmar. Have points. <laughs> yeah, well, we well no age of Sigmar has I, points too. I but, know, but that's the easy joke. <laughs> yeah, I know. But the idea is there is like unit upgrades. Like yeah. you want to have a, a a banner carrier and a musician and a unit champion. Those are all just rolled into the cost. They're just free. This this unit can take uh, swords or maces. It's all the same. Like there's no granularity as far as point changes in fact you buy units by like blocks of like five or ten
0: so we haven't reached that level yet mm-hmm. see i'll I'll just wait till we get to the ungranularity for voton because i still have guns that are a one point upgrade if i buy the ion gun
1: <laughs> yeah like I say it's not it's not a universal change and there's still plenty of units like especially if mm-hmm. you look at the tau points list it looks very much like an older points list because especially for like crisis suits and things like that yeah every weapon is like has multiple costs worked into it so yeah it's it's not universal
2: while we're while we're throwing out spicy takes that are going to get people angry age of sigmar is a better game right now than 40k
0: <laughs> uh, i will disagree
2: <laughs> i mean
0: they don't have it's
2: no, I, well, they, they have plenty. Of, they, yes, they, they have yes, Caradon they, Overlords. Yes, they do. They, they've, had, they've had Botan for longer. I, <laughs> no, I, um, I've never
0: seen the Caradon Overlords. I've not wanted that army. Wait a minute. I, <laughs> you
1: have you have
0: a, a war, one of your favorite Warhammer Underworlds war bands. I did Caradon not contemplate Overlords. dropping a lot of money when a Caradon <laughs> Army was on auction at a Renegade Open. Um, wait, I don't know what th- you you're talking said
1: about. The, the way you say that <laughs> makes me not believe you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, wait a minute, you've been playing Eldar and elves and fast things, but really, in your heart, you are short and stunty?
0: (laughs) No, because they all had, like, balloons and airship thingies, and and even here they have Pioneers and Sagittars that move fast. I mean, I'm still about moving fast.
1: Okay, fair enough.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, but back to, I guess, the balanced data slate.
1: Yeah, okay. <laughs> I was gonna say no. Age of Sigmar's been getting a lot of attention. I did just finish painting my uh, Daughters of Cain army, so I'm looking forward nice. to this year actually getting a couple of games of Age of Sigmar in. But yeah, back to the balanced data slate. So so we kind of talked about the points. Like I said, there's I don't want to get into everything because we could spend a long time going over all the changes, but uh, yeah, like the high points are a lot of free upgrades for like space marines, some armies got a few, like, targeted point updates. Like, uh, I was surprised that, like, Chaos Demons didn't get bigger changes. I think a lot of the... I want to say some of the Nurgle and Slanesh stuff changed. Zeench stuff didn't change nearly as much as I thought. They didn't touch the cost of flamers, for example, but they did other things.
2: Yeah. Well, like, I'm just scrolling through the, the list here, and, like, Mechanicus almost every unit got a points change like except for like a couple of the planes and like servitors everything else had point tweaks um it's probably which, all
0: drops too for them i believe
2: yeah because they they mentioned that in the metawatch uh in the metawatch video which i'm super happy that they're doing those because it is really nice to like get to hear the logic behind why they're making the changes they're making um and we'll get into it obviously more in the balanced data slate but um yeah, they had mentioned that, like, you know, the uh, Adeptus Mechanicus were really good at the start of the edition, so they made some tweaks, and they may have overcorrected a little bit on the points side of it, so now this is kind of correcting that and lowering some of the points back down a little bit, so,
1: yeah, it's just yeah. very interesting
2: how it's that constant give and take, and uh, I do find it really interesting that they're actually more willing to, like, talk about it, um, yeah. and, you know, and explain their logic
0: and from my looking at, I will admit, I mostly looked at the points changes for all the factions I played, cause that's mm-hmm. what impacted me. Sure. Um, and other than Votan, which, which got hit. And I mean, I'm hoping this is, well, I know this is it until the next balance data slate, but I, I hope they don't keep going up. I don't want to have a five model army. Um, if I did, I'd play <laughs> knights. But like Eldar, the thing I noticed, these were like very targeted point increases because psychers and the, um, swooping hawks were what went up because they're what's being really used to dish out Mm -hmm. mortal wounds. Um, for sisters, I was like, Hey, I'm not impacted because it was more the repentia, the penitent engines, things I don't have in my army. I know they might impact you, Rob, but. I'm guessing those are what people are using a lot and they're getting more kills than their current point. So they, they're probably like very efficient is why I'm guessing they got point increases. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it just, it feels like they targeted certain armies as Kevin said to just do big swaths of let's just reduce things and then other armies they just targeted specific units that were I don't want to say I were problem units but like an example of the harlequin it wasn't units but two of the upgrades you could take one for shadow seer one for a death jester were increased by like 20 25 points mm-hmm. i i think that's a major increase and You might still see those upgrades taken, but uh, it's going to cost you to take them. And in my mind, it's probably not worth it. But the people that were using them effectively, they're probably cursing a little bit.
1: Yeah. All right, so let's get into the actual changes in the balance data slate. I think the first thing we need to talk about is what is no longer in there, and that is armor of contempt. We know we mentioned that a minute ago that uh MetaWatch or did we do that before recording?
0: I forget. Before recording. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So,
1: So yeah, something we were talking about before recording. Um is that Armor of Contempt is gone, and apparently the reason it's gone is because it just didn't do what they were hoping it would do. It did not raise up the factions that had it, and in fact, I th- it sounded like too many I- factions ended up with it.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. I will say it raised up sisters. It definitely yeah. made them a lot stronger than, well, maybe they should have been, but I, I'm kind of sad to see it go for them. But on the whole, I think I'm glad to see it gone.
2: Yeah, I, I am too. Like I, it's it's one of those things. Like when we played, you know, when we played our games at uh, the the Kansas City Open. You know, it was really f- neat and like powerful to get it on your side, but it was annoying when like every model in the game had it. And like, oh, okay, I'm playing Space Marines. Well, all my AP one, you know, damage weapons don't do anything. So it, I get why they did it and why they kind of rolled it back. I think they've done. I think that the points changes and some of the other abilities they've changed for Space Marines, It it's going to get them to the same place without necessarily impacting the entire game the way that Armor of Contempt did. Because I got to say, I was always a little bit uncomfortable with how broadly they made Armor of Contempt because it's like, we're going to roll this rule out for every Space Marine faction, Chaos Marines, Sisters, Imperial Guard got it for some <laughs> reason. I'm like, what, what is going on? It felt It felt like it was... It felt like it was way too much of a knee jerk reaction to like roll out to a good half of the game. Um, so I am kind of glad that they've rolled that back and are trying more targeted, uh, more targeted changes.
1: Yeah, I agreed. I I am definitely on record as saying that uh, after playing with it, uh, Armor of Contempt was very much a feel bad mm-hmm. uh, rule. It it didn't take into account how armies actually played in their codexes. It did nerf a lot of damage output, which just encouraged people to take better AP weapons. Like it, yes. yeah. Which wasn't much of an opportunity cost because it was always you know, it was always better. And strangely enough, it made leagues of leagues of Voton feel a little less special because they also had it rolled into all their stuff. Yeah. But baked into their codex so now by stripping that away it does give the the leagues a little bit of uh, niche protection by like yeah. these guys have better yeah. damage resistance which also you know their as we mentioned their points went up yes they but did. but i i think overall it is a uh it is a better change, you know, to have that gone and try other
0: balancing techniques. So, um, Kevin, when we play each other, I'll make sure to bring Votan, so you can still feel like that armor of contempt is still there for you.
2: <laughs> well, what I, what I, you know, at the same time, there's, there's other, you know, you mentioned leagues of Votan. There's other armies that had similar things like Death Guard, Thousand Sons, where it's like they had similar resiliency that just kind of felt like it wasn't as special. Um, and Fair. now, like. Those armies still have it, so it's like Death Guard's still a little bit tougher. Thousand Sons basically still have Armor of Contempt, you know, are on at least the Rubric Marines, where it's like AP hey, one just doesn't matter. So it, it makes those armies feel a little bit more special, which um, which I think is good. So
1: and it makes things still, like yeah. Storm Shields matter again because oh yes. that was a, that was another thing that felt weird about Armor of Contempt is because it didn't stack on anything that already had some other AP reduction tool. It's like mm-hmm. oh. This actually means
0: storm shields are important, and so I, oh, I've yeah. forgotten that part. But I, you are, are correct because I I didn't really like taking storm shields on terminators what? or even on the um, uh, the Sacracents. I forgot their first name all of a sudden. Uh, the Celestian
2: Question. Celestian Sac- as Sacracents. a as a Chaos Space Marine player, what are storm shields? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Things you, you, you don't you have to worry about. <laughs> you take a right? shield. You draw a picture of a cloud <laughs> on it. <laughs> um something else that won't that has been removed is aircraft starting on the table uh new change is you know we still already have the limitation of only two aircraft uh per army not per detachment uh and uh what's been added to it is aircraft now also have to start in strategic reserves um
0: which I'm actually one? fine with that. Yeah,
1: I, I am, too. It it makes the role of aircraft... First off, it's kind of a throwback to the what the role mm. of aircraft was in, like, 6th and 7th edition, where they did have to come in off-reserves because they were flying in from somewhere else, yeah, unless you wanted to I start would... them in hover mode.
0: Right, and that's right. how I'm envisioning it, is you start the battle, then you call in your air- aircraft, say, okay, yeah. here's the point, and then they come flying in.
2: yeah. No, it feels more thematically appropriate, and also, th- see, so this is where everything interacts <laughs> interacts in interesting ways. Because in the Arcs of Omen mission pack and the changes with Arcs of Omens, it's not a detriment to start things in reserve anymore. So it doesn't cost anything. So this is a good time to kind of put that back in um, and make air f- you know aircraft function more like they should. So right. it's
1: a good also like also another change they made. Uh, to kind of nerf bombers a bit because bombers were getting really good as very easy <laughs> to abuse mortal wound delivery systems is mm. that an air, if, if an aircraft flies off the table and then you would trigger the rule that says, Oh, with this, you know, any unit, this ar- vehicle flew over, you roll for mortal wounds. If the aircraft's no longer on the table, then you can't use its rule. So nice. they, like like, uh, if it, like if that. a rule is triggered after it would have moved, it has to still be on the table for it to trigger. So uh, bombers have really been toned down with this. We'll see if anyone continues to take like sun sharks or, or the like, but uh, I think it makes sense. It's like, you're no longer on the table. So your rule yeah. does, no longer applies. It it adds a little bit of rules consistency.
2: Yeah. No, I like that.
1: Um, we still have the indirect fire, uh, penalties uh but the big thing is guard has had uh, their immunity to that stripped away yay guard, which we're all equal we're all equal and the new <laughs> guard stuff is is apparently pretty strong as is so this is not yeah. necessarily a big detriment to them yeah then we guard get it, have
2: interesting it, ways to get plus one ballistic skill so it should <clears> be <throat> a problem for them
1: yeah uh in Getting into individual factions. Chaos demons. Hey, flamers don't auto-hit anymore. Specifically, Zech flamers. Not, like, the flamer weapon in general. <laughs> but the right. flickering flames from flamers have to roll to hit. Which, they're still good. They still get a lot of shots. Yeah. And they still have, like, a ballistic skill of four up. So, you're still going to get, like, half of those shots. But it's not going to be ridiculous. And it also means that in Overwatch, they're a lot less painful.
2: Yeah. Cause this is one of the things they specifically talked about in the, the meta watch video. And they're like, they were, they're, you know, flamers are still really tough. They're really tough to shoot because they've got like a four pin phone. So the easiest way to get them is to punch them in melee. Well, but since their flamers auto hit, you overwatch and they burn you to death before you get there, basically making them invincible. So it's like, they're very, very, very difficult to target. This makes them, you know, that much less you know, invulnerable. And I'm like, okay, that, that makes sense, because they're still relatively easy to punch out in melee. And, you know, it's still probably worthwhile with the number of shots to to try to overwatch when someone assaults you, but it's not auto hitting. And it just makes them, it, it makes them feel you know, it makes them a lot easier to deal with. Um they're still a powerful unit, they're still really good. Um, but yeah, it just it makes it it makes it much more interactive to actually play against them.
1: Yeah, very much so. Uh, let's see, Space Marines. Uh, they can now shift doctrines when they want, rather than based off of turn t- structure.
0: I like that. that's useful.
1: I think it is good because, like, yes, de- like there have been cases where Devastator Doctrine was like really nasty to abuse by like Iron Hands back in like late Eighth mm-hmm. Edition. We're not seeing that. Still in, you know, space marines are not performing. They've been near the bottom of the performance charts (laughs) and thus giving them more tactical flexibility. I mean, they still have to go in the same order, Devastator to Tactical to Assault, but now you can do it on the turns that you want. Like you have to start in Devastator, but if you want to stay in Devastator, go for it. If you want to switch to, uh, tactical and stay there you can you don't like you don't have to leave tactical once you're there so it's just much more tactical flexibility for space marines <laughs> which they no they should have that should be yeah, how they That's play. their whole
2: thing. Yeah, that's their whole thing.
1: <laughs> um and then uh they also gained a, a very important ability. Uh, their objective secured units, or their objective control, not even objective con- secured, but their objective control sticks, at, even after they leave yeah. the objective. Um, that's going to be big for them for scoring, because it's going to allow them to take points yep. and just move forward.
2: Yeah, you're not having to take a unit of, you know, a five-man attack squad and just park them on an objective. So, I, I like this. Um mm-hmm. I yeah, I'm sure you're going to mention it, Dennis. There's probably other factions that should also probably have similar ability.
0: Well, abilities. no, I, I was more thinking that uh, maybe not should have it. But I remember in the past where you had Slanesh, where and I think Corn mm-hmm. might have had this too, where you had it once you controlled it, you just move forward, which fit those armies because they're not going to stay; they're yeah. just going to corrupt it and keep moving forward. Um, For sure. So this is similar but different in the fact that well, Space Marines put their things; they control it, but now they've got to push forward because they have other things they need to do. I'm, I'm fine with it. As Rob noted pre um recording, this definitely gives them like a signature niche where this is our thing. We're, we're the objective holders.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I think that's one of the big things with this is we need to see armies having like a thing they do. And like that, you know, having like generalist armies are fine, but like every faction should have, something special about them and now like Space Marines, like you said, is the we hold objectives. That's what we do, but we also don't we don't hold them defensively necessarily. We just we take them and move. Yeah. I like that. Um no big no changes for Death Guard really. Uh their Terminators are still objective secured because of course. Um no big changes for Dukari. Harlequins on the other hand possibly (laughs) got the biggest single change. Uh, I mean they all their older Balance changes are still there. And then all their invulnerable saves were worsened by one. So instead of four ups, they're all five ups.
0: Which, to be fair, originally, many, 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 many years ago, Harlequins had five ups. And it was when they all had four ups, I'm like, this is amazing. Harlequins are great. Why can't my demons have four up invulnerable saves? <laughs> now we know and- why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I mean, this definitely nerfs the faction hard because it will make harlequins a lot easier to kill. Um, true, there were coming out a few more things that ignored invulnerable saves, but they're kind of rare weapons. So this change, instead of like saving half the time, they're only going to save a third of the time will mean harlequins have to be more strategic. Um, they, they can't just like, run in and do things is they have to like actually maybe... Well, cover doesn't mean anything for them, because that's I guess dense cover would, because it makes you have a harder hit. So they're going to have to lean on the, I'm harder to hit over I'm just going to make the saves. So I think Harlequins will still be good, because they still have a lot of, air quote, tricks up their sleeves. But I don't think they'll be as strong. We'll have to see if this keeps people from playing them, which it might because the whole mindset of my save got worse. I'm going to lose could drive people away from the faction. And so we'll have to see if they, this brings them in line to the 50% or if this is just going to tank them because all the good players leave and they drop down to where like Mechanicus and space Marines were last season.
1: Yeah. I was wondering that myself is like, is this going to be the kind of sea change that causes them to go the direction of mechanicus where all the the high end players basically abandoned the faction and it collapsed in the rankings and so yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens to harlequins if people do give this a try and see if they can still make it work or if it if that army really lived or died on its uh saves four up and vulnerable
0: saves yeah i mean they're hard to hit was also a benefit that kept them around a lot too so true right. we'll have to see let's see
1: moving on aserani uh only real change there is they can use fire and fade multiple times again that that limitation was removed chaos space marines uh the creations of bile sub-faction doesn't get automatic fight on death it's now only on a four-up that's fine
2: like, that's making it more consistent, because there's other factions that have that, and they all trigger off a roll, so, sure. Yeah. Uh
1: Mechanicus, couple of buffs. First time we, I think we, <laughs> like, other than Space Marines, first time we've seen some, like, complete buffs here. Uh, first off, Cataphron, Breachers, and Destroyers get core, which they should have had anyway. They are troops. There's no mm-hmm. reason for them to not be core, <laughs> and now there's actually Cult Mechanicus core units that is a change that they have been needing. The other change is Skitari and Catafrons and uh, Servitors and the uh, Iron Striders all have their bionic invulnerable save buffed from a six up to a five up.
0: So you're just saying they took the Harlequin saves and gave it to the Mechanicus?
1: They, they shaved off a point of <laughs> save and tossed it over to the Mechanicus. Um, so we will have to see if this brings Mechanicus up to that 50% range, like giving them more core and like we've seen the change in core that it's had for Necrons. Like it's actually been very yeah. positive for Necrons. So that's a good thing for Mechanicus. And then giving them more survivability will also be good. We'll just have to see. Does this bring them up? Does, is, or is this like a thing that might kick them too high? Like, this is all fine. Like, we're starting to get to, like, fine adjustment phase, but mm-hmm. you, you got to be careful well, with those, too. So the
2: interesting part with the, with the invuln saves is I, I believe there was a, an army of renown or, like, a formation they could take out of one of the older books that, like, just cycled out that gave them five-up invulns. So basically they were, like, everyone that was using these was taking it in that army of renown. So why don't we just give them that ability? So fairing, I, I yeah. don't know how much that's actually going to impact it. I think the core word for the, for the cataphrons and the points changes are going to be much more impactful for them. Uh, but yeah. it'll be interesting to see what they do.
1: Yeah, and that's actually a good point. That document that says, like, what books are legal when, pretty much all the narrative books or almost all the narrative books ha- expired January 2023. Uh, yeah. there's, a, there's like one or two that are still valid until June. But uh, there's a lot of material that is no longer legal for, like, match play. Uh, Like, Psychic Awakening War of the Spider is still technically legal because that's where the agents of the Imperium, like the assassins, are. That's the only book where that's still (laughs) around. But everything Mm -hmm. else has been superseded since then um, because... Like, Custodes, de- like, this Custodes was already superseded, but, like, Creation's of Bile is superseded because we have a new Cast Space Marine Codex. Psychic so Awakening Greater Good's been retired because um, astromilitarum's the next codex, and technically it's out. Yeah. But, like, yeah, Warzone Caradon Books 1 and 2 are retired, and that includes, like, the Terminus Est Force for... Death Guard, the Mechanicus Defense Cohort, the Skatari Veteran Cohort, which is the one I think you're referring to. Yep. Um, the uh, Cult of Strife for uh, Drukari is now retired. House Raven and, uh, is retired for uh, Knights. Of course, I would say that's superseded at this point, kind of. Sure, but like, yeah. Uh, but yeah, those are all all gone. Uh, Warzone, Nachman, Vigilus Alone is still valid until uh, June. But pretty much everything except that and uh, War of the Spider, which tells me that we're going to be getting an uh, an Assassins update before June, if they're if they've put that time frame on it.
0: Yeah, will we or will they just fade into legends? Oh,
1: uh, no, <laughs> they, Assassins still need like Assassins should still be around. Like, okay. And well, they're
2: adding they're adding more things to uh to Agents of the Imperium with like Breachers and and. You know, bringing back the, uh, the voidsmen, like that, you know, bringing back those models and stuff like that. So I can't imagine they're just going to let it all fade into legends. Yeah,
0: probably it. make this book. We'll call it an Agents of the Imperium Codex. Oh.
2: <laughs> again, under the current <laughs> design philosophy, that book probably wouldn't suck. <laughs> it's like, I don't hate it. <laughs> and actually, and again, we'll get to this later. Spoilers for, for what's coming up. Under like the new, um, under the new Arcs of Omen, like detachment yeah, you can actually make a viable agent of the Imperium army. So, yeah. <laughs> All
1: right, uh, moving on. Uh, Tyranids. <laughs> the couple of changes that were added in this talk is, like, there's a laundry list of changes in Tyranids, but most of those carried over from quarter four. The uh, two big ones here is their overrun stratagem only affects core models. So, which, I mean, there's still a fair amount of core in that army. Like, I think current effects are still core, but, like, you can't do it to several of the other like big units. Uh, and then the, the biggest change for them, I think is all the various spore mine and mucilid spore creations. They take reinforcement points. You have to leave points free in your army to create spore mines. Now, like if you want to create a hundred points of spore mines, you can only take a 1900 point list.
2: Oh, it's, it's, it's more consistent with how they've done it for other factions. Cause I think they're trying to stop f- armies getting free stuff just in general. So, I, you know, I'm kind of torn on it. It is just mines, but also, yeah, I, I should probably have to pay points for it.
1: <laughs> right. It's like we've kind of gotten away from, because like summoning is pretty much gone now. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, we're, we've moved away from the idea of units. Like, it's one thing to restore models to a unit, but creating a new unit is kind of not a thing anymore. Mm hmm. Um, only change to sisters was the fact that they don't have to account, like, I think it's Valorous Heart no longer has to account for Armor of Contempt, so they don't have a special change to their sub-faction rules. Uh, Necrons, uh, you can't stack a couple of the custom Dynasty rules now. There was a combination of Objective Secured and a free, free move at the beginning of the game that was very, very good. As in, everything in your army had objective secured. Now, you can have the objective, everything has objective secured, but if you take that, you can't take anything else. Uh, Adeptus Custodes got uh, objective secured back to all their infantry, not just troops.
0: Yeah, which, I mean, that's not that many models, but it's still. I think big, because then you can have Wardens or Laris Custodes with objective security again. So I'm, I'm thrilled by this.
1: Yeah. Um, they also peeled away the limitation on only being able to use esteemed amalgam, Emperor's Auspice, and Martial Discretion stratagems once. Those are now, uh, reusable and can be applied to all Custodes' infantry. Well, no, that was already there, because I think that's the one that keeps them from using it on Sisters (laughs) of Silence. But, uh, but yeah, so, but the, the limitation on those stratagems has been removed as far as the once per game. Orcs, I really think pretty much dodged uh, any changes. And uh, Tau are pretty much unchanged as far as the balance data slate. So the big changes for them will be in what you can take in army building rather than uh, any balance changes. Which says other than some points tweaks, those, those armies are pretty much where they want them to be. Uh, not a bad time to be a Space Marine or Mechanicus player. Not a great time to be a Harlequins player. In uh, yeah,
0: I think uh, Harlequins, I think, got hit worse than like Votan did. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it'll be curious to see how these all play out going forward.
1: Yeah, but I mean, Harlequins were still way too consistently good. They oh, did need yes. to be brought I'll down. Agree. So yeah. So uh, and, and just trying to also nip some. Uh, Less fun, less, you know, or, or possibly unintended strategies in the game, like the aircraft changes and such uh, aircraft has always been kind of a weird thing in 40 K. And I think mm-hmm. it's always going to be a struggle to, to get those to where you want them while still being able to allow them on the table. All right. Uh, I mean, that's the major news. Obviously, there's some new releases coming out, although those are almost all Arcs of Omen related. So we'll get into those in the second half of the show. Uh, they did announce and uh, put up for pre-order four new Space Marine Battle Forces, one Not for Iron Hands, one for Salamanders, one for White Scars, one for uh, Ultramarines. Um, they are about as thrilling as the other
0: ones. <laughs> <laughs> I mean the white scars one, I think is actually decent if you want to build that style of army.
1: I also like like I don't mind the iron hands one, two redemptors and a tech marine and the Iron Father, and then a unit of intercessors like I like that one that one i don't I don't dislike it yeah uh the the salamanders one is it sure is salamanders it's some like flamer aggressors and eradicators and a bunch of uh intercessors. And yep, that's that's a it, it's the curse of being dull. It's it's dull the way the imperial fists one is dull. It's like, yep, <laughs> yeah. that well, that sure is well, salamander. <laughs> you all right? I'm, I'm actually looking at like the list of
2: like all of the battle forces on the page, and like the salamanders and the imperial fist one are like right next to each other. And, uh-huh. wow, those are the exact same battle forces, except for a different HQ model and a different paint scheme. <laughs> like, <ooh.
0: laughs>
1: And I mean, uh, the, the Ultramarines one is, look, we've got special characters, yay!
0: Yeah. I, I This might be part of the problem with Space Marines right now, though, is true they each have their own theme, and that's what they, they play off of, but a lot of the times... I don't think the rules play up to those themes or it'd be nice to see them have more units addressed to that theme because they can't because of the, I want to say the codex they follow, but that's not the right word. But the doctrine that all the space marines have to follow thanks to ghoulie men that the space wolves ignore, which is why their book is better. I mean, (laughs) no Yeah, (laughs) I mean, sure.
1: (laughs) I would also like to point out that of all the non-space marine battle forces the only one that is not sold out is the mechanicus one i almost want to buy one because i feel bad for them
0: <laughs> don't <laughs> I'm,
1: not, I'm not going to i'm not going to but uh i mean i have some existing mechanicus models so it's like i could use them but i'm not going to
0: you but, also have blood angels and eldar you're working on. I, for the... I know
1: i know i already have my new new year new army so like, yeah I'm, one at I'm, a time I'm, I'm all good. I'm all good, but I just like, it's, it's more a sympathy thing than anything. Oh, else. I
0: know, but, but I know Yumi and Kevin need to keep reminding ourselves, well, we don't need that because we, we have others we still need to build and paint. Oh, oh no. Yeah. No, you're right. <laughs> so, so we're supporting each other this way. <laughs> Ex-
1: exactly. Yay. <Yeah. laughs> but yeah, it's like the, I'd say the white scars one feels like the least value because it is 10 models and the and one of the HQs is not on a bike because they really hate Kosaro Khan for some reason <laughs> not making a bike version of Kosaro Khan was a huge mistake
0: uh, oh that just seems yeah, silly I don't get it <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: but yeah uh, like, that one is definitely flavorful the Iron Hands one is flavorful I can take and leave the Salamanders and Ultramarines ones
0: so cause... those last two taste like chicken
1: yeah pretty much <laughs> Well,
2: I mean, it, again, I think it's the same thing we talked about with the other ones. If you want to start Ultramarines and you don't have any of the special characters, this is a good way to get several of the special characters and get a good, you know, thing built, you know, base built up. But if you've already bought the new, you know, Marnie Kalgar and Tigaris, then yeah, there's no real value in that box. <laughs>
1: Right. And, I mean, like, you look at it, it's not bad. It's, like, it's a unit of, like, Hellblasters, a unit of Intercessors, a unit of Bladeguard Vets, which are really good. And then, Mm -hmm. yeah, Tigurius and Marnius Calgar and his Honor Guard. It's like, yeah, that's not a bad start if you're an Ultramarines player. But if you don't care about Ultramarines, there's, like, four models in that that you can't use. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, again, the Iron Hands one. If not for the Iron Father, that would be a perfectly good, you know, generalist. But if you're wanting to play Iron Hands, I like it. So, like,
2: with the Iron Hands one, and, and even to a degree the Salamanders one, and I guess White Scars to a degree as well, like, you could, in theory, convert or use those models as just a standard faction captain. You know, like, you can, you know, if you already have, you know, a version of the Iron Father, you can just... Run him as another tech marine or something, or convert him up to make him look a little different. Like that's easier than like trying to convert the the Imperial Fist special character or Marnius Calgar. Some of these other ones, like at least their unique characters can be modified, you know, and and used in different ways. So there's there's still some value there if you if you play White Scars, you already have Krasero Khan. Yeah, I could still pick this up and I could do something with that model. I could still. Pick up the Iron Hands one, even if I already have the, you know, the Iron Father, because I can use, use the model somewhere else. So it's like, at least there's more of a use case for some of those. But like, again, this is my biggest problem with the two Chaos ones, you know, the Death Guard and the Thousand Sons. The value is the the unique characters. And if you already have them, then there's no extra value here. Like, right. So, you know, it's, it, it's a weird choice. It, it was a weird choice how they designed, the, how they did this, but.
1: Whatever. They must have had space marine models. They needed to move. <laughs> I th- I think there's a good part of that. It's like, you know, trying to get people into these factions, which makes me wonder if we're going to get like a consolidated codex supplement for first founding, because that's one of the books left over from like one set of books left over from eighth edition is mm-hmm. that like all the rules for those individual chapters are. Have not been updated for ninth edition, so it's time. Yeah. Which I would not be surprised if that's one of the things we see after um, World Eaters is like an updated, maybe not a not a new Space Marine Codex, but mm-hmm. a like an updated uh, First Founding supplement. Yeah. Uh, speaking of First Foundings, uh, there is a, also a Chaos Legion that was first founding uh, World. <laughs> Uh, technically, the uh, the World Eaters were, you know, one of the pri- the original legions, uh, and uh, they're still kicking around. And they had some new models. We've ta- Dennis and I have talked about them, but you were unavailable, and so we didn't get your opinion on them. And as the the World Eaters player in the group and the person looking for most forward to that release, yeah, how do you feel about them, Kevin? So, um,
2: I don't remember the last time I was actually on because it's been the last eight weeks have been a world. So, I don't remember if we've actually talked about like when the models were previewed
1: and released, um, but you were or, not on when we but, talked about the eight okay. bound and the jackals. I know that for sure.
2: I actually really like the eight bound models, I think they are very cool. They're a neat, they're a neat like hybrid of demon and chosen elite space marine that like gives them something different, unique. I kind of wish from a model perspective, I kind of wish the exalted eight bound were different. Like, cause uh, effectively it kind of looks like, oh, they're just the same model with like different weapons. Um, And again, we don't know this because they haven't actually released it yet, but uh, it looks like they're kind of like the same design. And I kind of wish it was more of like, okay, one of these guys, one of these are like possessed size, you know, so 32, 40 mil base. And then like the other ones are Terminator size where it's like the exalted are bigger. They're, they're more like mutilators. Side and and you know so just I was kind of hoping for a little bit more variety there. That said, I think they look cool. Um, it sounds like you know they have some cool rules. It sounds like they're going to be really beast in melee, and I like the fluff of like you know bounding a demon to the person's soul and stuff like that. Like that's cool and that's fluffy and that fits within the world eaters. The jackals are fine. Like they they are cool looking cultists. I have a bunch of I have a bunch of cultists already, so. The models look cool. I like what they're doing with them. Um, so, like, I'm excited for what they've shown. I think my biggest thing that we've talked about before is: is this really everything new that they're getting? Because, effectively, at this point, we're getting you know, and, and granted, new Berserker units, you know, new Berserker models. So that's that's huge. But a new Berserker kit, a dual kit for eight pound, and Ang- and Jackals and Angron, like.
1: Well, and the that Lord and Machatus like slash World Eaters Lord on yeah, that's right. on yeah, on. There's there's true. That.
2: But like, but like, it feels like this. Would, you know, there should be a generic Corn World Eaters Lord, like you know, on foot or and some other. Because like again, to compare it to other armies that have have similar positions in the game and in the fluff, like Death Guard got a boatload of individual like elite characters, and like we haven't heard or seen anything from anything from, like, the World Eater side of, like, oh, they're going to get this character. Like, they'll have access to this and this. But, like, yeah, like, there should be, like, you know, a Slaughter Master or something like that. Like, you could easily add in a couple of these other characters, I think, and give them more, like, more flavorful elites. And I don't know. It doesn't feel like they're getting that. And, again, we don't know. We we don't have – a lot of this is just rumors and speculation. But, you know, if the army list that actually gets released is – the one that we saw, you know, a few episodes ago, where it's like, yeah, you get Karn is the only Chaos Lord on foot, you don't get access to Exalted Champions, Master of Executions, Lord on Juggernaut, two troops, no, you know, no Chosen, no uh melee Terminators, no Havocs. It's like, yeah, it's gonna be disappointing, because it does feel like they should have, you know, things things that exist in the Chaos book, they should have access to. Things like Chosen, things like possessed like I don't know It it's I don't know it's going to be interesting to see what actually happens when they fully release it because I I don't I don't quite understand what they're doing
1: <laughs> yeah I yeah that was one of the things we brought up and we talked about them is it seemed to validate the the leaked points list that had come out like a couple yeah. of months ago and like the couple yeah. of the units were jackals and eight bound and here they are spelled <laughs> exactly the same way and it's like oh, if this is it, then that's not great. Like, it seems like there should well, the- be more options.
2: So, uh, again, there's been a number of rules leaks and stuff like that. So who knows if they're actually true or not. But the one that's kind of frustrating, I guess, for me is, of all of the rules leaks and everything they've talked about, the exalted army of, like, Angron's Chosen, which is, like, Angron, a bunch of demons, and, like, things like Eightbound, and Spawn, that actually sounds like a much cooler army than, like, you know, taking World Eaters. Which is a problem, <laughs> like, right? <laughs> that's that's a problem. Like I, uh, so I don't know. I'm trying to keep an open mind on it. Obviously, these are all leaks. It some of it has been, you know, has been proven and and you know and kind of verified out. I just I got to think there's more coming. I got to think there's more involved with it because it, it can't. That army, li- maybe there's no new models, but that army list can't be right. Like that army list is way too restrictive. Um, it's going to wind up having fewer units than than leagues of Otan, who just got a new faction. Like that, <laughs> that feels wrong. Like like as of right now, like the the you know imp- Emperor's children are going to have like three times as many unit options, and it's like right. I don't know. It's until
1: until we get our own new codex, and then it'll will be similarly stripped down. But I guess
2: I don't know. It just (laughs) it's so weird because Death Guard and Thousand Suns got so many unique things that like I don't know. I said maybe I'm you know maybe it's wrong. Maybe it's all. Maybe there are more models coming. But we'll just have to wait and see. And it it might still be a really fun army to play once we get once we get the new you know the new models and the new the new book because I think there's some interesting. Ideas in there, like what they've talked about with um, the blood tides, stuff like that, like that was a cool mechanic from the corn demon kin book. So I think there's ways to make the army really fun and, and do what it needs to do. But I don't know, I just I'm a little bit disappointed that I didn't feel like we're going to get more, um, more units than than we are.
1: Yeah, no, I, I I agree. It's just it seems like I'm hoping that there's more than what was what has been previewed and leaked. Even if it's just recycling more options from Chaos Space Marines. Yeah, exactly.
2: Uh, but like I said, the the new Eight Bound models look dope, so I do like those. <laughs> yeah.
1: All right. Well, this will give us a moment to transition over to listener mail. Yes, we actually have mail to read this time. Thank you for everyone who uh, wrote in. And yes, all these letters are written by you, the listeners. And if you want to know how to have your letter read on the air, we'll tell you how at the end of the segment. So uh, first off, uh, from Jared Starman. I did not make up this name. That's the name it was delivered under. So Jared Starman it says, hello, sanctioned villains. I have Tao as my first army, but have wanted to get into guard. <laughs> I've held back because I feel like the armies are too similar and I want a second army with more variety. Do you feel like Ostromilitarum plays differently enough to merit having both as opposed to going into something more melee like Custodes or Space Marines? I know the joke is that nobody knows guard or plays guard here, which is is true. (laughs) It's not a joke. (laughs) However, for somebody who likes the Tau play style but also wants to play all phases of the game, who should I choose? As a broke college kid, easy access to secondhand stuff or just cheaper armies is a consideration. Thanks Thanks again and have a good day from jared uh so jared i feel your pain as this is something i went through uh early in my tau playing career in that uh i played tau for a while and i was like this army does one thing it stands still and shoots and occasionally it moves and shoots but doesn't really play like two thirds <laughs> or you know half the game uh and so i looked around for other armies and i tried hey i'll do world eaters because uh well they play the half of the game one of the parts of the game at least that i don't play is they just move and punch things and then i discovered i don't like that either i need something more well-rounded um so uh there's a couple of options guard i think you're going to find is going to be a lot more like tau than you might prefer because they are most likely going to be the either stand still and shoot or move and shoot option what they're shooting with and what they're shooting from is going to be different uh, and the tactics are a bit different but if you are wanting to play all phases of the game i would not go with guard necessarily uh and i I, yes as dennis points out it's not a joke that none of us play guard here but even from what i know of guard it's like this that is primarily a shooty army and so it's not going to feel substantially different from tau when you when you get down to it you do have some units like Ogren and things like that
2: that can do melee, but it's it's really much more of a yeah, it's really much more of a stand and shoot army similar to Tau. Also, from the second consideration there of like being a broke college kid, Imperial uh, Imperial Guard is one of probably the most expensive armies to yeah. collect because you need so many more bodies. Like if you think you have a lot of bodies in a Tau army, double it for guard. Like you're going to need more troops. You're going to need more tanks. They're not cheap and easy to find. Maybe the army has been around longer and they're, you know, they got new, you know, they're getting new models. So maybe you can find older models for cheap, but there's a reason they're older models. I would say if you're looking for an army that is cheaper and easier and plays more well-rounded, I would say that like, I would recommend like either death guard or Stoads, I think because they're both smaller, more elite armies that do everything they have psychers, although I guess custodians don't, but um you you play in the psychic game, you play shooting, you, you move around, you've got some fast units, you've got units that that are good in melee. they're both well re- said, they're both relatively small or can be built relatively small. so I don't know those are those are a couple of options. I don't know, Dennis, you have any any thoughts?
0: Uh, my, the first thing that jumped into my mind was as broke college student. I know that's. I was buying like very very little things back in college. Like, oh, I got a Terminator box, and I was so excited about that for a while. Um, I was also th- the first thing jumped in my mind was custodes for that same reason of there's not a ton of models, so just buying a few mm-hmm. boxes over time will build and fill out that army. So. And as you said, they play in all phases except the Psychic because, well, they don't believe in that. And also, you can also, if you go with the Sisters of Silence, just throw in a squad or two of that. You can have a lot more anti-Psychic on the board, but those units are very fragile. That's the nice thing about the Custodes is those units will stick around the table for quite some time.
2: Yeah. Now, they're completely different playstyle than Tau. Like, it's, they're, yeah, they're. They play a lot differently.
1: (laughs) I would also throw Space Marines out there, just generic Space Marines. I mean, if you want an army that is easy to get, like, I mean, how (laughs) much, like, old Space Marine stuff from, even if you're just looking at, like, Primera stuff, or even older than that, like, if you can track down, like, old army lots for, like, Firstborn stuff.
0: Or or wait till some of these battle boxes (laughs) go on discount at your local game store.
1: (laughs) I mean, yes, also
2: possibility. Well, and to be honest, like even, even without waiting for the battle boxes to go on discount, if you were a brand new player to Space Marines, those battle boxes, several of them are very valuable and very useful. Mm-hmm. They're not useful to us because we already have a lot of those characters or have no interest in playing those factions. But if you decide that you want to go play a kind of you know the generalist Space Marine army like Ultramarines... That box at $210 is actually a pretty good deal for you and a really good start um, to getting Ultramarine, you know, to getting an Ultramarine army and getting some of the special characters and things like that. So, and yes, in in three months, they might be on discount even more, but... They're not bad values. They're just bad values for us because we don't play those armies.
1: Right. And, like, even if you're just starting at, like, the combat patrol level with some of these, like, the there's multiple army boxes for Space Marines. There's combat patrols for mm-hmm. pretty much, like, any of the factions we would be recommending that for this. Death Guard's got a decent one. Although, if I remember right, Death Guard actually gives you more um, poxwalkers than you can legally use. In a unit. Right. Yeah, I think it, I think you're right. Like, the even the Custodes Combat Patrol is a solid choice because it gives you, like, a unit of five Custodes, like, just, like, standard Custodians, three Jet Bikes, and then a unit of ten Sisters of Silence. And while you're not playing in the Psychic Phase, unlike Tao, you actually have something that can affect the Psychic Phase thanks to having Sisters of Silence. Mm-hmm. And the, the other thing is that box of five Custodes that they throw in there gives you basically a two characters in a unit of three, if you want to build it out that way. Um, Custodes are also like a very flexible unit as far as like how you can build out the kits and what units you can glean from them. So uh, it's, it is a good choice. Yeah. Yeah. Those Death Guard, Custode, Space Marines, like those would be the ones I would lean towards as far as being the easiest to play, probably the least expensive. Death Guard have the benefit of they were in a starter set in 8th edition. Space Marines have been in multiple starter sets. So a lot of that stuff. Uh, Necrons would also not necessarily be a bad choice. They don't play in the psychic phase, but you definitely have options for both shooting and melee.
0: I could uh, see that because Necrons have a lot of standstill and shoot like Tauish, but they have a lot more maneuverable, like heavies and those races. I still hate race for yeah melee. Yeah,
1: they yeah. I mean they have they have some very viable melee options in a way that Tau doesn't, and while they aren't technically. Um, Psychers, when you start getting into like Cryptex or Satan and like you know, some of the extra abilities and things that like they have, like as you expand your army, but those like the base Necrons should be relatively easy to get cheap. Expanding into like some of the cooler stuff might be a little bit harder, but again, because Necrons were in the uh, the box for ninth edition, like the starter products for there, I think that they're a really good choice for picking up. But yeah, I'd say any of those are good. As far as like armies that really play all f- like all phases of the game, uh, yeah, Death Guard, possibly Thousand Suns. Uh, the Thousand Suns Combat Patrol is not a bad one either because mm-hmm. you st- uh, you start out with the main character. That's obviously leading more psyker heavy. I would say like Eldari play in all phases, but I think that's going to be a harder army to pick up. Especially yeah, if you're yeah. trying to get used or che- secondhand stuff, I don't know how many people are getting rid of their Eldari stuff right now.
0: No, I mean there's still probably hopes that Eldari. I don't say make a comeback because it sounds like they're down and they're not down. <laughs> but <laughs> I-, I think people are still waiting for like the next aspect warrior f- to drop and and all that. And so yeah, we'll we'll see what. But I- yeah, Eldari. I don't think we'll find. She- I-, I was also thinking voton playing all phases of the game, but. Being the brand new army, I don't think you'll. There's find There's no anybody.
1: secondhand cheaper stuff, right? Although, depending on how much they how much they bump the point costs on those, <laughs> they might end up at custodes levels of model count. So,
0: uh, yeah. I mean, their elites already are there.
1: Uh, cheap armies to pick up, like you might look at. Also, with like a lot of you know, with space marines being near the bottom, there's probably a fair number of space marine armies that have been dumped on like ebay and Mm -hmm. such so that would be a good place to pick up mechanicus would be a good army to pick up but again i don't think it's going to feel so different from tau that it's because you don't get it's another stand and shoot or move and shoot army it's not gonna really play all that differently so that would be one i wouldn't recommend if you're trying to move out of that standing and shooting niche next letter from Bryce Koch Bryce writes hello Rob and the Preferred Enemies team my name is Bryce and I've enjoyed listening to the podcast for the past couple of weeks it really helps me to get through my 10 hour welding days wow those wow. are long days those are long days along with mm-hmm. the Floor podcast and others such as Lore Hammer and Adeptus Ridiculous y'all at Preferred Enemies have really helped stir the passion to get into the hobby again the most oh, thank you it's good to hear that Bryce uh, my question for y'all relates more to the hobby side of the game. I've always enjoyed building, converting, and gaming with mostly just primed armies. <laughs> Dennis, are you in this picture and you don't like it?
0: <laughs> I'm in this picture and I'm laughing because I'm right there with you.
1: But have always had trouble getting my foot in the door to start painting. I started collecting on and off since 3rd edition, starting with the Black Templar vs. Dark Eldar box set way back when, oh but my. have never really made it past barely painting a couple of minis here and there over the years. The trouble I faced is just getting the brush to the mini as I see painting pretty daunting. I've put my nose of the grindstone on my voton army. Wow, this real... <laughs> Are you sure you didn't write this letter, Dennis?
0: Oh, man.
1: <laughs> on my Voton army and I have a scheme in mind but I can't shake the painting jitters any tips or ideas from y'all to start to try and conquer this hurdle thank you guys for taking your time to read this and if this pops up in a future podcast thank you for your discussion keep up y'all's awesome work and can't wait to see what 2023 brings for preferred enemies and 40k overall Okay, uh, Dennis I shall give you the floor
0: <laughs> okay I, I will give you the worst best advice ever and that's just do it Take 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 the brush, put it on the model, and get going. Um, Because I know when I start, the thing that paralyzes me the most is finding the color scheme. How will this color look on there? How will that like match up with things? And. uh, Sometimes it, it helps to like just try to paint one model till you get how you like it and then replicate it. But it's still that fear of, well, if I mess up, then I have to redo it. Or if I mess up really bad, do I have to strip it and paint it? I mean, I, I have those fears. The only way to get past those fears though is dip the paint in the, or the brush in the paint and just start putting it on there. And even when I get to that point where I'm actually painting, um, it still takes me Forever because I'm slow. Um, Because Friday is when I started working. Well, I'm working on some Pioneers, the Hearthken Pioneers. And I've already got like the red on, the black on, the blue on, and I'm working on painting the coats brown on these guys. And I started on Friday. It's now Sunday. So it's been about three days. I have four of the six models. With just the brown. So it's, it's taking me like a day each just to paint one color, which is not that much on the model. Or I mean, I guess it is. It's two figure, one or two figures with their browns. But I know if I don't just do it, they'll just sit there. They, they will just sit there. And I will admit, I've looked back to my old elder. I've even looked back to the sisters from a year ago that I've, I've painted. And each time I just do it, it gets better. I mean, that's where people say, "Well, practice helps." I'm like, "Well, y- yes, yes it does. Um but you can never get there without just taking that first leap." And I mean, will my my paintings win awards? No. Will they look good on the tabletop? Yeah. And it's just and I know with your 10-hour days, it's probably going to be hard to find time but, maybe set aside, just actually set aside a little bit of time each day, fifteen, twenty minutes, paint, just just do that little bit, and then you'll feel like you've actually done a little bit and then keep going I mean, if you do don't do it today, no big deal, it'll still be there tomorrow. I mean I think the three of us all have backlogs of things that still need painting, oh yeah, oh
2: yeah, no nope. <laughs> no backlog here, Not okay. At
0: all. Yeah, cause you still have to put them <laughs> together, right? <laughs>
2: <They're
0: also that. laughs> but uh, for me, I think that's the biggest thing is take a deep breath and set up a little painting area that you can keep out. Cause that makes it easy. Yep. Cause if you have to get out the brushes, get out the paints that that makes it less likely to actually do it. And just if you've got that stuff ready, you can just walk there. Like I mentioned, um, it takes me forever cause like, I'll do like an arm or half a body, and then I'll take a break for a few hours. <laughs>
1: right. Um. So
0: there, there's no such thing as speed painting over here. Or if I had a stream where you guys watched me paint, it would be like, okay, two or three minutes of painting, I'm done for a few hours. <laughs> so yeah. um, it would not be entertaining. Um. But yeah, it's just you just have to start.
2: So I, I think I think you're you're exactly correct. Like you have to you have to kind of make. T- Time for it um there's actually a really good facebook group uh one hour a night uh, one hour a night uh, it's all one word that where you know it's like just a, it's and it's not there's there's some really good painters in there but it's a lot of just normal people just talking about like how they you know the progress they make and stuff like that so you know really just going through like getting a, getting a, a desk set up or a corner set up where you can keep your stuff out and paint you know Fifteen minutes, twenty minutes a night. Work on a color. Work on a model. Um, You know, getting into that habit is really gonna is is really helpful. But then also, you know, you don't necessarily have to engage with all aspects of the hobby. You know, if you like playing the game and you like having, you know, you don't like painting. There's nothing wrong with having a primer, you know, primer color army. You know, and unless you're like going to tournaments where they require specific, you know, color standards and stuff like that. And and that's the other part of it. Like maybe sign up for an event if you you know if you feel like you need to have motivation to get an army painted. That's the best motivation for me. Is like oh shoot, I have to have this army painted. Uh, so I got to. I'm there and do with
0: it. you, Kev. That's been my motivation in the past. Is oh freak, there's a tournament yeah. coming up. I've got to get this army done.
2: But you know, but also like if you just play in your garage and you play with friends, it doesn't matter. You know, like if you don't enjoy painting, then then don't. Like, it's perfectly fine to have primer gray models or whatever. Like, that's – as long as you were having fun and your friends are having fun and everyone, like, is agrees, like, oh, yeah, let's do this. Like, that's fine. You don't have to worry and make it stressful for, like, every aspect of the hobby if, you know, if it's something you don't like. So, that that's one part of it. I will also say that, like, things like speed paints, contrast paints – Um, I think Vallejo just came out with an, a line as well – Like those really do help because it takes a lot of the – you can get a a model to a really good standard, you know, tabletop standard much more quickly than you would before with having to pull out, you know, the the regular Citadel paints with that and put a base down and then highlight and and wash, just like that. Like being able to use those speed paints and things like that helps a lot and can at least get you started um, and at least, you know, get – Let's you know, and I don't know what armies you play, but say you're playing a Space Marine army, you can use contrast paints to get your Space Marine army from primer to at least the color of the faction pretty quickly. So, you know, things like that uh, to get into a point with that, your painting have to be good. Um, If you're really wanting to focus on it and get better at it, then you just need to set time aside to do it. But if you don't really care about it, then that's also fine.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it really comes down to what you want out of out of having a painted army. If you just if sometimes it's just the like I hey I I've had I've not had a painted army since like th- you know, because from the sound it's like I haven't had a painted army since third edition. I've tried and it just hasn't happened. I finally want to do the thing. Then yeah, Dennis is right. And as we've said before, like doing the thing is better than not doing the thing. If it's yeah. something you want to do, do it. But also don't it's easy to look at other people's painted armies or that were the, like yeah. the armies that you see on the box art or stuff like that and it's like don't feel like that is your standard that is not what you need to hit do the f- like even if the first model or two that you paint is you take like a base color and then maybe a couple of spot colors like let's say you've got space marines and you're going to like Okay, I'm going to do ultramarines. I'm, I'm just going to take this as the most basic example. I'm going to take my ultramarine blue and I'm going to paint the, the armor blue. And then I'm going to have maybe black for the bolter and silver for the, like, the metal parts of the bolter. And maybe this guy doesn't have a helmet and I'll put sound some flesh tone on his face. I'm not talking about doing like highlighting and stuff like that. I'm saying get the flat colors down and then okay. you take a bottle of Agrax Earthshade and it does magic. And suddenly, you have a three-color painted model with shading and highlighting. And yeah, it's not going to be fancy. It's not going to win any competitions. That's not the goal of it. But you have a model that is now fully painted on the table, and you'll be able to look at it and like, okay, that I, I did that thing. And you don't even have to do it in one night. It may – like. You know, the 15 minutes, and I've done that myself, like, I'll have a few models on my workbench, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do 15 minutes of painting, and maybe that's getting washed down on, like, a half dozen models, or maybe that's getting some base coat down, or doing a few highlights on a single model. It's like, that's, like, I can break that into little chunks like that. And if you break it into small chunks, also don't look at your entire army and say, I'm going to paint that army. That will be one of the quickest ways to not paint an army is to yeah. feel overwhelmed by trying to like have the whole thing on your workbench and be like, all right, now where do I start? Pick a model. Pick aim one model from a squad. Don't even pick an entire squad. Pick a model from a squad. Pick like a model from a single troop's choice and paint that model. That's it. Just just do that one and then do the next one. And then do the next one. And as Dennis said, you know, with practice, you will find those techniques get faster. It will get less intimidating. And then maybe you'll be like.
0: (laughs) It's still intimidating even for me.
1: (laughs) Okay, fair enough. It may it may well become less intimidating. Maybe not. But it's like if nothing else, you can get down to a process. And if you don't see it as an art, but just as a process to get done, that's also totally fine. Like, if you just like, this is a mechanical process I am doing to get these models from primer to color, then just think of it that way. Just think of it as a thing you do simply.
0: I I think the thing that's actually helped me the most with the Votan army is I've kind of set goals for it. And like you said, Rob, I'm I'm doing it like a squad at a time. Like, I've got the six pioneers. And when the six pioneers are done, I'm going to work on – what was next? My um, Iron Master. And I'm counting that as five models, even though it's one he's got all the little guys. And I've just set the goals so I know that this is what I'm working on. Ignore everything else. Everything else does not exist. <laughs> and I because I, I still find it daunting. I still get jitters. Um but once you start get some completed models, at least for me, I'm like, oh yeah, this is completed. And now once I see I see the realization of this is what it's gonna look like, I'm like, yeah. I did that. I can do that. But it still is then very time-consuming. So I understand the jitters. I understand how it feels daunting. But the best way is just to take a breath and just start.
1: Yep. Just the only way forward is through. <laughs> so just got to do it. Next up, a letter from Peter Fontabasso. Peter writes, Hey, guys, I'm Peter from Brisbane, Australia, long-time listener and first-time writer. Well, hello, Peter. Thanks for writing in. And I have a question I need your help with. I've been playing 40K since 2nd edition. I've skipped a few in the middle, 5th and 6th, but I got back into it at the tail end of 7th, then all in on 8th and ninth. Now with 10th ed looming, I am looking at all my armies, 15 in total. (laughs) God, I feel like an amateur now. And then looking at all my previous copies of codexes from each edition, I'm really feeling like I don't want to shell out all that money again for all those armies to get new books and maybe new models. I love 40K, but the ongoing cost of updating and each edition change is making me rethink some decisions. How would you, longtime hobbyists and owners of multiple armies, handle this type of situation? (laughs) Should I only concentrate on a few armies per edition, or is it time to downsize? Great show, and looking forward to hearing your ideas. Thanks. Peter, if you find the solution, please let us know. Hey, I've got my solution.
0: I'll I'll, I'll toss that out. Um, No,
1: no, I've got some ideas. Yeah, okay, you... Uh, um, so, so what I would say is first off, I tend not to keep previous versions of codexes. I have taken so many batches of codexes up to half price books or, you know, other donation places where I can just like, I don't play sixth edition, so I don't need my sixth edition codexes. I don't play seventh edition, so I don't play seventh. I have purged my collection of all the eighth edition codexes at this point, because otherwise I would just have shelves and shelves and shelves of them. So uh, part of it is being willing to just let things go. Um, I have let armies go before. I have let my world eaters go. How's that going for you, Kevin? And I gave my uh, black Templars army away as a uh, part of charity. So um, I, I am willing to, to set armies aside, but I, even then I still have like probably five armies that I can actively play and that I'm still working on. So uh, but like if I had, I think 15 would be probably more than I can handle. I would totally downsize <laughs> to a few armies per edition and then mm-hmm. not even look at updating an army unless I, can, I had reached a point where it's like, okay, these like three or four, like I'm not getting anything else out of or I've done all that I want to do with them. And I would even start like only do one at a time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's. Like, I can't focus on multiple armies at once, even though I have multiple armies. I I rotate three or four times a year on which one I'm playing. But even then, that's still only like three or four armies. Well, I was going to say, I, I think there's
2: a couple of pieces of advice I could give. One of them is to start a 40K podcast so that eventually <laughs> you get big enough, they send you – some <laughs> free codexes <laughs> for review. And also, you get into this, uh, you kind of trick your, your brain into like, oh, well, I need this because, you know, I need to be able to talk about this army. So that, I don't know if that helps, but that's kind of what I do to justify. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think Rob is correct. Like, focusing on a couple of armies for, like, each edition. You know, the armies that you want to play, different styles that work in this edition, different styles that work against the people that you're playing against, you know, in, in your local meta. And then, yeah, like, with 15 armies, like, like for example, for me, like, I don't pick up like the new Demons Codexes, because I'm like, I have some Demons models, yeah, I probably should, like, I'm familiar with it a little bit, but I don't play that faction, and I don't play them that often, so, like, I'm not going to go pick up that, that book. So, I think you know, picking out the ones that you want to play uh, at that spe- you know, specific time, the ones that call to you, the ones that you know have interesting mechanics, the ones that you like the models. You know, that's that's what I would recommend.
0: I, I guess for me, I'm I feel like I'm more in, in Peter's shoes. So this is two letters that were not written by me because um, <laughs> I, I think what did we determine? I think I have what twelve or thirteen armies now, Um
1: something like that. Yeah,
0: and. Yeah, you one, I can't play them all, but I like either the models or the lore, or there's something about them that makes me want to keep them around. Um so mm-hmm. I, I I know Rob you've gotten rid of armies. I can't do that yet. I mean I did contemplate with that with um and now I just totally blanked on their name. They're not Gethgard. Guard. Uh I'm doing great today. The space marines that are all the factions. Deathwatch. Deathwatch. Wow. <laughs> I don't know Death why Watch. I was stuck on Death Guard and I couldn't get past it. Like, what um, are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, but the Death Watch, I don't play. I have the least intention of playing right now. So it would be the army that would be the easiest for me to sell or get rid of. But just the other day, I was going through boxes and I'm like, oh, here they are. And I'm like, I really like these guys.
1: Nostalgia is um, a dangerous drug, sir.
0: No, I don't think it's <laughs> nostalgia. I like the way the models look. And there's no nostalgia about model looking. So I, I just GW made good models and I like having them. <laughs> fair. Um, and then also addition wise, like the codexes, I, I I perched a lot of them except for the faction. Like I've kept or all the Eldar codexes for the evers, even going back and picking up the Eldar codex for when I wasn't playing just so I could have that. Cause Eldar was my faction. I might do the same with photon. We'll see. But going forward, yeah, I think I talked to Kevin Rob about this in the past of I can only really support to play a few armies a year. And so if it wasn't for the podcast, I probably wouldn't pick up the codexes for the armies I've determined I'm not going to play. And I've narrowed it down to like, here's my six, which is going to be like Eldar, Sisters, Custodes, Votan. Demons and Chaos Knights. Those will be my six I'm going to focus on. I'll still pay attention. The others might do, like I mentioned, like a 500 point game or just something small to, just to keep them fresh. But yeah, I do see myself keeping with just paring down at least what I buy for only the factions I'm currently going to use. Because if you just let them sit on the shelf, then by the time you might get to them, it might be a Codex or two later, and I don't know, th- there might be new models then, too. I'm looking at you, Eldar, with new Aspect Warriors coming out. Um, <laughs> So I'd say, yeah, if you're tired of having all the armies because some of them you just don't care for, or you don't even look at, yeah, try to get rid of. And it's not a bad thing to acknowledge you probably not going to play all 15 armies in a year, maybe even in two years, you won't play them all and pare down your buying to only those factions that you're actually going to tackle for the year. Cause I know I've joked around and had the problem where I think I said I could go to a tournament every month and play a different army or a different faction, I should say, because in some factions you can build totally different armies, Mm -hmm. but even this year, I'm going to call that and I'm going to try and focus on this is photons year. So, I'm, I've talked myself out of buying custodian models. I've talked myself out of buying night models just because I need or I, I chose to focus on Voton. And so it goes down to what you want to get out of the year or the years or the edition. Cause when 10th edition hits, it might change things. But just, Find what you either like to look at for model wise or like to play for codex wise. And, and I'd say pare down to th- at least maybe not get rid of the old stuff, although it's still good as, as Rob has said. Um, but going forward, yeah, just focus on the ones that call out to you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then if you need to figure out a way to give like to, to drop some armies from your collection, but you don't necessarily want to go through the trouble of like an eBay situation or something like that um find like your local gaming store or gaming club find you know people that you play with or people who are interested in getting into the game and either like be willing to cut them like a really good deal on on the army or even just like if it's a store maybe the store can have a couple of armies as like Library armies, like hey, for new Mm -hmm. new people who want to try out 40k, here's like two or three armies on the shelf that you can just borrow as long as you put them all back, and you know, like they can have some sort of checkout thing, and you know, if they're willing to do that, you know, they may not be able to, but uh, you know, find find places where you can kind of rehome those armies to to people who might not otherwise hey get in contact with uh Jared from our first letter <laughs> and who is looking right. for cheaper armies to get into as second hand items and may, you know but it's like that kind of person like find somebody who is actually interested in playing that army that maybe you feel like you're a little bit done with or that you're like ready to I've got too much stuff I need to pare I I mean 15 armies I would say that's time to start paring down a little bit and, and focusing and if that means you have to physically get rid of the army to feel comfortable about that. And then that's definitely an option if you – and, of course, you know, there's always services like eBay and stuff like that. I, again, what the options are in – like, I can tell you what could be possible if, like here in my area of the United States. I don't know what the gaming situation looks like in Brisbane and like as far as like stores and and clubs and things like that but i'm sure you can find people who would be willing to take those if you do decide to divest yourself of a few of those armies and that will help keep your update co- costs down because that is definitely an issue when you have that many armies is not like just the cost of codexes alone is big yeah so no it's it's definitely a real concern and yeah those are some ideas on on how like how to pare down either just mentally by focusing or, and and cutting down how much you update, or actually getting rid of some stuff and paring down your collection so you don't feel like you have to update as much stuff. All right, final letter is from Colin Fairs, and Colin writes. Dear Preferred Enemies, firstly, thank you for the great podcast, and I make sure to have your latest episode on while painting my minis. Thank you, Colin. I have a question for you about hobbying away from your normal hobby workspace. Do you have any tips or tricks that will help you in hobbying on the road? I've only recently gotten back home from six months in Iraq, British soldier here, and with a massive pile of shame, I thought I'd take some of it with me to paint during my downtime after work. To reduce weight, I only took the paints I would absolutely need, plus a couple of spares of my main colors, as I didn't want to run out and have Wait nearly a month for new paints to arrive In the post I also built and primed Quite a large selection of minis which were Then safely packed into my luggage A couple of hard tubs with lots of tissue paper In them is there anywhere unusual That you have painted minis or is it just me That wanted my space marines to get some actual Battle experience I have Also included some pictures of the minis I completed Whilst deployed for your viewing pleasure Keep up the good work from Colin in Sunny South England and I did Attach them to the uh Document So you can see what he's painted while deployed in Iraq, Wow! which Thanks. we've come a long way from like th- I've seen it. There's a classic picture that floats <laughs> around of some players playing like 40K during like the first Iraq war back in the 90s where all basically they're using like pieces from like vehicles and rocks and things like that as proxies. Yeah. This is a long <laughs> way from that. Um, but, uh, yeah, some nice, uh, looks like blood angels and necrons and considering these were painted with what you could bring with you to your deployment. These look really good. Yeah. Like for sure, they're all sharp. Uh, you can tell like wash was used. Yeah. Heavy on like, yeah. And I can see like red, kind of a light tan, black, silver, uh, a neon green, a little bit of, and then some white. Uh, a little bit of gold, so probably about ten paints or so, ten or eleven paints. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean that that looks fantastic, and that's a really good way to like. I'm just using the paints I, I need, and uh, I'm you know pre prime the minis and and bring them with me. Um, so as far as painting on the road, I have actually done this. Um, f- this gosh, this would have been about oh God, I'm feeling old. This would have <laughs> been about almost, God, almost a decade ago at this point. So I, uh, yeah, about 10 years ago, I was working on, I, like, I, I had just started a new job at uh, a company with an e-commerce site and, uh, they sent me to California For a week's training with the company that like developed the e-commerce software they were using. And so I was going to be in, uh, I was going to be in a hotel room for a week and I'd be doing training during like eight hours of the day. And then the rest of the time I was going to have just to myself. And so like I, I, I had a couple of movies on my iPad and I had, um, you know, and I had a lot, like I had a computer with me, but I'm like, I could use this time to actually get some models painted. So I brought some Tau models, which I had already like primed and I did kind of the same thing. I had a little cardboard box, probably about uh, two inches tall by, Oh, probably about like six by nine or so. And I had a squad of models. I want to say either, I want to say there were some stealth suits in there. I don't remember exactly what I was painting, but I'm almost positive it was Tau. And I like I knew what colors I needed for my paint scheme and I was only going to be a week. So I didn't have to worry about spares necessarily, but I bought a couple of brushes and I brought, um, I brought the paints I needed and I brought the models. I brought a couple of extra hobby tools. Like I always like if I'm traveling, bring some glue and like an exacto knife and stuff in case I need to do any repairs. Um, I knew that the hotel would have water cups and I could use tissues to like clean my brushes and such. And so, yeah, I just had like basically a tiny little travel painting kit with the models I needed. And so, yeah, and I could just the hotel, you know, hotel room had a desk with a decent uh, lamp on it. And I could just sit there and like set up my iPad and have have a movie going and or have something on the TV and just sit there and paint uh, and spend a couple hours each night doing a little bit of painting. So, yeah, I've done something very similar to what you've done, Colin.
0: That's a lot more than me. Closest I've even come is take a model to a paint night at a store. Which you no, know, that I'm just impressed with that much dedication.
2: <laughs> I've done the times where I've taken models with me on trips and stuff like that for work, where I know I'll be be gone for a week and have like you know have some downtime in the evenings. You know, same thing. Yeah, like just you know make sure that you you pack the models well, bring the paint you need, uh, you know, some hobby tools. One thing that I found uh last year that I, that was helpful, not necessarily with uh miniature painting, but but with getting stuff ready for an event is uh there is like a fifty dollar like wireless uh or cordless airbrush on that I picked up off of eBay. That thing is like super helpful because I was using it uh the week before Midwest Conquest last year to like finish up some terrain, you know, put some washes down on it just to get, you know. To get the, the make the train look a little bit better, and then also to like finish painting the uh, some of the prize support, you know, some of the the three D printed items uh, that we used. So you know, I've I've done big things, small things as well. You know, where I've taken them and painted them, you know, in a in a hotel room or, or you know in a in the actual event space uh, of, of a tournament. So you know, uh, there's a lot of ways to do it, but I think you're I think you've got like the basics of like you know take us take a small backlog don't don't take too many with you and make sure
1: that you have the paint you
2: need and you know just try to get it in where you can
1: yeah and i would also say like decide like what level of painting you're going to try to do at that point i think like what he had with like some base colors and some washes maybe a little bit of highlight is good like i've like some of my painting projects where i paint for other people uh, or even, like, painting some of the models for myself where I'm, like, I really want to kind of push how, like, how fine I have this detailed. Like, what seems like, oh, there's, like, three or four colors involved in this model. will quickly turn to, like, 16 or 17 because when you work in, like, all the various, like, levels of highlight and things like that that I sometimes do, um like – the number of paints I'm actually using will suddenly like get very magnified. So if you're traveling and painting, that's obviously something you can't do. Like just decide like at what level or what, like what is my goal when I'm painting this? If I'm just trying to get these models painted enough to play with. Yeah. You can probably get away with maybe like a dozen paints Uh, and that would cover. And he did that with for two different armies. So like that's, that's really good. Whereas like I would probably be bringing a dozen paints for one army because that's just how I would tend to work. But, uh but yeah, just yeah, look who's a better painter than us. I'm not, no I'm hey, saying I I'm I more, I'm more fastidious. <laughs> I didn't say I'm better. I didn't I'm like I'm that, saying it better. <laughs> I but it's just like but if I was going to travel I would not yeah, paint yeah. to that level necessarily. I would do I, the finishing see, work at home because I also wouldn't have the means to like seal and com- like complete the minis. I might not bring basing stuff for so, example
2: if I'm So now, here's here's the challenge that I want to throw out there to to just the listener audience in general, somebody needs to do a golden demon like painted completely on the road. (laughs) Like just, just a a golden demon entry that was painted completely in hotel rooms or on deployment or something like that.
0: Uh, Why did you say (laughs) say entry? I was just going to find a demon model, go somewhere else and like spray paint it gold.
2: I mean, technically that also, if you do it in a hotel room, that works and you could, you can enter it into golden demon. They'll, laugh at you, I'm sure, but, you
0: know. (laughs) Well, I'd probably laugh at me, too.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But no, that like you mentioned that, like, oh, you know, you know, level of painting, and and that's the right way to handle it, because you don't want to take 50 paints and a bunch of brushes and stuff with you, but now I'm thinking, I'm like, yeah, I want to see somebody, like, do this, like, this is my... this is my road to golden demon model entry
1: where i painted it all in hotel rooms or something i would say here's the other challenge though you are (laughs) severely limited on how much you can bring with you because i could easily see someone doing that challenge but bringing like a tackle box of all their paints and stuff and i'm like no that's not the point the point like the point (laughs) is you have to bring like bring a small like you can switch out the paints between trips but you can't like, you can't bring more than, like, ten paints with you or something like that.
0: Before I had a painting table, I actually used a tackle box for my paints.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm sure Richard's ears are burning right now because he's just like, why can't you just blend paints and do this and do this? So. <laughs> yeah, why
1: can't you, Kevin? Why? Make, I mean the, make, the, your, make my own custom paints. <laughs> like, they're made to be blended. That's
0: <laughs> No, two thick coats, right? Oh.
1: Exactly. <laughs> hey, with contrast, yes. Okay. Yes, with contrast, you can do that. <laughs> But anyway, <laughs> I mean, anyway, uh, Colin, that that gives us like we have sim like at least two of us have similar experiences to the kinds of things you- I haven't even done the airbrush thing. So, De- uh, Kevin, you've got one up on me. Like, I is it one of those like travel airbrushes where it's like the little black compressed like cylinder compressor that screws up yes. the bottom? Yeah. Yeah, I've yeah. I've heard good no, things it, about those. So it actually I've, worked really well. It worked really well.
2: Yeah. I was I was impressed by it, honestly. By how well it worked. So like For that, like okay. twenty minutes. It works like twenty minutes at a time. Yeah. <laughs> and then it runs out.
1: Well, <laughs> yeah, it's like it, I mean, compressing takes a decent amount of, of power, so I imagine yeah, it would run out pretty quickly. Plus I I'm hoping you had good airflow. That would be my other concerns. Like I'd have to bring like a respirator mask or something if I if I yeah. did that. Or you should, anyway.
2: Well, I was, yeah. Well, like, I was finishing, like, the, the Necron Gauss rifle. Like, I was painting the glow effects on it, like, outside outside of the event space. Like, getting getting it ready, like, the day of. So,
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, anyway, Colin, it looks like we have had similar experiences to you. So, thank you for writing in about that. That was a, a fun topic to talk about. And if you have something you want to talk about, want us to talk about on the show... that and if you have something you want us to talk about on the show, uh, there's uh, three good ways to, to write into us and get those to us. First off is email. Uh you can email us at our first names at preferred dot com. So rob at Kevin at Dennis at Richard at preferred dot com or our first names, one word at preferred dot com. Uh, second is Facebook, we're at Facebook.com slash preferred Uh you can like us there, follow us, send us messages. Uh we post things we're working on, our takes on uh, news and new releases, uh episode updates, et cetera. Third is on Mastodon, we are at uh Warhammer.social slash uh I think slash at Preferred enemies, um, and there's links to all these on our our website, uh, so you can like us there, follow us, send us direct messages. We do technically have a Twitter account, but eh, um, right now. Uh, so <laughs> email, Facebook, and Mastodon are the three main places to reach us. And so we take all our our letters and messages from those sources, compile them together, throw them in the hopper, and get as many as done as we can in an episode. We are now officially empty again. So if you want to get your letter read on on the air in our next episode uh, now is the perfect time to write to us also if you want to help support the show we are on Patreon, we are at patreon.com slash preferred enemies, uh, we basically use that as an online tip jar, we don't lock any of our episodes behind a paywall um, we are still trying to figure out if we're going to do uh, discord, although we need to figure out how, how the moderation on a discord channel would work because that's just generally a good idea to have. Uh, so we're still looking into that, but yeah, if you just want to help support the show, even if it's just throwing us a dollar, all your dollars have added up and make sure that our show is basically income neutral. Uh, you pay for our hosting, you pay for our recording service, you pay for new microphones. Uh, you have helped defray the costs of traveling to various events. So we really do appreciate that. And again, And If if even you just want to put in a dollar, enough people put in a dollar, it adds up. Although remember, if you have the means to support us, we do ask that first you look at uh, people in your area who can use that kind of help. There's always – with the economy and such, there's always people who need assistance more than we do. But if after that you still want to help, we do appreciate it. Uh, We are going to go ahead and take a break for sponsor identification, and when we come back, it'll be time to look at uh, our main topic, which is going to be both Arcs of
0: Omen books. See you in a bit. Miniatures. We build them, we paint them, we love them. That's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely. And that's where KR Multicase comes in. They offer
1: a complete model storage and transport system.
2: They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard sized miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models.
0: KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors, that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting
1: your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army,
2: or use the Autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game,
0: 40K, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com.
1: KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real?
2: Then you need to check out the Battle Mats from Game Mat. Their professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table
0: needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a Game Mat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding board portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming
2: table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right
1: for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. We're back, and that means it's time for our main topic, which is a look at both Arcs of Omen books. And when I say both, we are referring to the Arcs of Omen Grand Tournament, chapter approved, our seasonal book for the first half of 2023, and the Arcs of Omen Abaddon, the first book of the Arcs of Omen narrative. Uh, At least – we know it's at least a quadrology that there's going to be four books released for this. There may be more, but four have definitely been confirmed uh, but we're going to start with the, uh, grand tournament packet because, uh, this is the one that I think ex- obviously affects existing play the most because this is going to be the new style of play for the next six months. And, uh, I mean, I think Games Workshop, you know, they've already dropped what the, uh, the big army building change is going to be for this, uh, for this season. And so, like, there's already been conversation about it, but Obviously, we need to bring it up, and I want to talk about it because it's it's very interesting, and that is the Arcs of Omen Detachment, um, which is basically a new sort of master detachment. Uh in, in Arcs of Omen play, every army has to have one of these. But the good news is what that detachment is can differ basically by army and what you want to build because of the options that are provided here so if you are unaware and you can go on uh, warhammer community if you don't have like obviously we are reviewing these books these were provided to us by games workshop in exchange for a uh, fair and honest like review and discussion but uh the arcs of omen detachment itself there is an article on the warhammer community site where they discuss this and they have a graphic that shows exactly this particular chart uh, so yes, you do have to have an Arcs of Omen detachment in a, if you were playing an Arcs of Omen game. Um the Arcs of Omen detachment has one required HQ slot, and then three required slots of either troops or elites or fast attack or heavy support or lord of war. So this is a detachment that can be all things to all factions, because hey, are you playing knights? Um you can take three Lords of War and knights and K- imperial and chaos knights do not have to take that required hq either they
0: because the, it's not an option mm. that they have so just off the bat the command cost of this detachment is zero cp yes so now yeah. i don't have to pay three cp to have a vanguard or an outrider detachment it's just i get to pick that and get pay zero P- cp this is great
1: Oh, this is, yeah, yeah. it's fantastic. It's like, you just, like, do you have an army that doesn't benefit from taking troops? Or, you know, maybe troops aren't, aren't really what you want to take in the army. You don't have to feel like you are at a disadvantage for doing so.
0: Well, how many times have we talked about the air quote, troop tax? Oh, so many times. So now troops are an option of, do you want to use your troops? If so you still have option to use troops. Or if you want to use three because you really like troops, you can. So Uh I, I like that this gives the flexibility and I know in the past, I'm like, man, nobody's using troops back when it was all formations. But I think I like this because it troops advantage is objective secured. And so you still will want some troops or some objective secured on the board, and troops are still probably some of your best people at you doing actions because you'll want your elites or your heavies fighting. So I I think this gives you the opportunity and the balance to kind of, I don't want to say build whatever you want, but that's kind of how I view it.
1: No, I think I think you're right. This is very much a build whatever kind of detachment you want to fit the army you want to play. And I mean, the fact that, in this one detachment, you get, okay, so you've got your HQ, your required HQ, unless you're playing knights, and then your three required insert slot here, depending on what what you want to do. Then on top of that, on top of that required stuff, zero to nine troops. Do you still want to use troops, but you don't want to be required to use troops? Absolutely viable.
0: Uh, or you can take 12 troops.
1: You can. Yeah. You absolutely can. You just want to flood the field with cheap troops and you boys. can figure out how to- f- All the boys. <laughs> I yeah. mean, that's, the, yeah, yeah. They'd be like 10, 10 or 11 men you know, units of boys, but you could do it.
0: Wow. Uh, oh.
1: <laughs> are, are you making up for Richard not being I'm here trying to
0: life? wake him up. Ma- yep. w- yeah, make up for Richard. <laughs>
1: Uh, and then beyond that, so 0 to 9 troops, 0 to 3 elites, and then another 0 to 3 elites that can only be characters. Uh, 0 to 3 fast attacks, 0 to 3 heavy support, 0 to 3 HQs, 0 to 2 flyers, 0 to 3 fortifications, 0 to 3 lords of war. And then you can have dedicated transports, one per infantry unit that you have. And I think one something else that needs to be noticed about the fact that Lords of War are actually, you know, besides the fact that you can choose three Lords of War as your required slots, and you've got three Lords of War outside that, is that these Lords of War, because they're not in a, like, super heavy auxiliary, they also get any command benefits, like, that the rest of your army gets, such as sub-faction rules, which traditionally, because they were auxiliary detachments, they did not.
0: Yeah. And also for knight players, having that sixth Lord of War slot is nice because now you can, you don't, you're not limited to like two knights and three different armatures. You could take four different armatures. It, well, that doesn't matter for Imperial, but for Chaos, they have like six Mm -hmm. war dog types. Now you can actually like take one or two of each of the war dog types and have the slots for it.
2: Yeah. Well, and it's also interesting because it allows you to take two Lords of War easily. That was something you couldn't really do before. So, if you were playing World Years and you had, you know, a a Lord of Skulls and a and you wanted to bring, or you're playing uh, Thousand Suns and you had Magnus and you wanted to bring something else, or Mortarian and something else, like now all of a sudden you actually have the ability to do that because before you could take one very easily in a super heavy auxiliary, or you could take three if you did a super heavy detachment, but like there really wasn't an option to do just two. So, like, more flexibility across the board. And and I like that, like, for the units that like, yeah, means you have separate elite character units uh slots that don't take up regular elite slots. Like I think this just gives so much more flexibility to build armies. I I like this a lot.
0: I was going say that was the second thing I wanted to bring up as well, Kevin, was the elite units I don't want to say not taking up a slot, but having their own call out of I'm mm-hmm. a character, I can like not count for using up a squad. I know sisters kind of had that built in for some others, as long as you took a canonist. But mm-hmm. here it's, it's really nice that I could take nine elite slots. If I was doing three required three optional and the three were characters. And I could maybe fill out a sister's army doing that. Cause they have so many characters yeah. in that elite slot.
2: Yeah. Sisters custodes death guard, um, you know, all have like a lot of those those one, you know, those elite character slots. So now you're gonna actually see them being used, and I, I like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it does like you you still kind of have to decide like if you want to have like more than three of a particular slot outside of like elite characters. You you still have to kind of decide, all right, do I want to go ahead and lean into, like, if I want to have four fast attack choices, I'm going to have to take that as my required. So there's still decisions that you mm-hmm. have to make. It's not just a unbound, take whatever you want and cram it into a list. There's still some structure, but it's got a lot of flexibility.
0: Well, point-wise, if I'm going to take four fast attack, that's going to be my primary focus anyway. Well, right, oh, right. Sure, for sure. But, for sure. That, like,
1: that, but I remember, like... Trying to figure out, like, I look at this, and I was trying to figure out, like, how I wanted to build my Eldari list, and I was always having to, I was, like, when I was looking at it under, like, the Nephilim rules, it's like, okay, so I'll, I'll build a battalion, and then, okay, well, that gives me three HQ slots, but I had four HQs I wanted to bring, so it's like, okay, now <laughs> I've got to bring in... I'm like, okay, so do I have enough... Or no, it was like, I, I ended up doing, like, do I had enough fast attack to options. Like, okay, so I'll take an Outrider and I'll make the the avatar the HQ slot in an Outrider and, like, fit that in. It was like, you, yeah, you just had to make mm-hmm. some weird decisions to try to build the list you wanted based on the options that they gave you. And now it's like, I don't have to do that weird, like army building is part of the game, but it feels like army building should not be a mini game in and of itself. <laughs> and I, and, and sometimes yeah. it did feel like that.
0: And I'm going to, I like you brought up the HQs of, yeah, HQs get a boost because most time t- people took the, um, not the, but the brigade, which you, you're maxed at three. And if you yep. want to take that fourth, fourth or fifth, you had to take a second detachment here. You get four HQs and I yep in my mind, at least four HQs seems to be the sweet spot. And well, Votan have four different HQs. So I, in theory (laughs) can take one of each now, which is pretty darn awesome.
1: And yeah, so this is a really good detachment. Now it does lock you into one army faction. Like that, that is the one thing because they still have the restriction of, you can't like everything has to share a keyword and that keyword can't be Imperium, Chaos, Eldari, or Tyranids. And you can have one Arcs of Omen detachment, so you're going to be building everything out of one Codex, effectively, mm-hmm. and you can't have more than one Arcs of Omen detachment. Also, all the other detachments from the from the core rulebook are not really in play with a couple of small example, or you know, with uh, a couple of ex- differences being, you can take a patrol detachment or a super heavy auxiliary, but You can only take them as allied detachments, and those allied detachments have to come from A, another faction, and B, only in the list of approved ally factions, which is something that was touched upon in the uh, Warhammer Community article, but not really fully spelled out.
0: Battle Brothers are back, baby. Battle bu- battle brothers
1: are back. <laughs> and that's the only level. There's no like allies of convenience or anything like that. And it's yeah. very, very clearly spelled out. It's all on one page. Um if you are Imperium, if you're an Imperium detachment, you can take as an ally detachment a Agents of the Imperium Auxiliary Support or Patrol Detachment. One Imperial Knight's Super Heavy Auxiliary Detachment containing a Freeblade. It specifically has to be a Freeblade. Or one Voton Patrol Detachment. Voton can ally into Imperium. However, Imperium cannot ally into Voton.
0: I mean, I'm fine with this because this is exactly like the Crusade rules in the Voton book work. Yeah. I can't bring in Imperium to my Voton... But I can have Votan join an Imperium. So this yeah. did not it, it surprised me a little bit, but once I saw it like, oh, they're just making this consistent. So you get your squat mercenaries, so to speak. Right. And um, the other you, thing I'll right. note on this one, if you really, really like knights and those six super heavy detachments aren't enough for you, throw in a seventh one with a super heavy auxiliary free blade. Yeah. I find that mm-hmm. real if you really want to go heavy on the super heavies.
1: Right, because it is it is an Imperium detachment, so you can do that. That is an option. Um same thing for Chaos. If you are a Chaos Detachment, you can take a Chaos Knight super heavy auxiliary with a dreadblade in it. So yeah. again, still a thing you can do. Um if you are an Astra Militarum detachment you can take a patrol detachment that is only Militarum Tempestus. So that's more of a fluffy thing because you could always put Tempestus into a uh into a standard Guard army but now you can take their own sub you know like extra detachment which plays nicely with some of the rules they have. Um mm-hmm. Gene Steeler cults can take a uh detachment of Brood Brothers. Which, you know, basically an Astra Militarum detachment there. Although they did add a new FAQ. They, there were some factions that got FAQs yesterday and or or a couple days ago. And one of the FAQs is specifically on Gene Stealer cults, and they do specify that when you're in a Brood Brothers detachment, you cannot put in named characters, the Cadian Castellan, the Cadian Command Squad, any of the regimental attaches or bodyguards, the Cadian Shock Troops, Death Corps of Krieg, Catachin Jungle Fighters, Kassirkin, Regimental Preacher, Rough Roughriders, or the New Field Ordnance Battery. There's a lot of things you aren't allowed to have in a Brood Brothers. There are no Cadian Brood Brothers, for example. Yeah. Which I may feel I feel bad for Richard because we gave him the contents of that Cadia stands box (laughs) and most of it he will be (laughs) unable to use.
0: He could convert it.
1: He can convert it, but he can't run them as like those data sheets, for example. Like which does mean like the only HQ that they really have, I think is I think we've determined there's a generic platoon command squad and like a premier cycler. Yeah. Yeah. Those are like the only HQ choices that a Brew Brothers detachment can have. So it's just like there's some weird decisions made on that. And I understand like they don't want the particular like regiment. Like, so like I can understand like no Deathcore Krieg, although it was weird to make Deathcore yeah. Krieg their own unit and not just like a, a, a style. Yeah. But, but uh, it's like, I and get, get
2: that. Like, and I get that like, yeah, Gaunt's Ghosts, yeah, you can't use them. Sure. Okay. I get that. I get you can't use the name characters and stuff like that. But it's feels weirdly restrictive. It does.
1: Uh then like for the the four chaos god aligned um chaos Space Marine legions, so World Eaters, Thousand Sons, Death Guard and Emperor's Children, you can have a patrol detachment of demons with the proper god associated with it. Um yeah if you are and if you're a non-aligned like, if you're an undivided uh, Chaos Space Marine army or, like, for example, Word Bears, you can take a demon patrol detachment. It just doesn't have the extra restriction of being god-aligned. So, like, if you take Emperor's Children, you can only take Slanesh stuff. If you take Word Bears, you can take whatever. But, of course, that patrol detachment, like, well, you're already not a completely demon army, so you will already give up, like, the warp storm table anyway. So, it's... I don't think it's necessarily that big, but for flavor, it's like, yeah, you're not going to have any, um, po- or any plague bears in a uh, thousand sons army mm-hmm. like that, that. That Like, I totally get why they did that. And then the final one is for Bellacore. Bellacore's army is kind of interesting. If you are a Legion Demonica detachment and your army is specifically the, de- the disciples of Bellacore army of renown, you can in choose, include one traitorous Astartes patrol det- detachment. As an allied detachment, and you can include a Chaos Knights super heavy auxiliary detachment. This does mean you can include two allied detachments, even though you can normally only have one. So, Disciples of Bellicor get special dispensation to build their army the way it's reflected in the book. Now,
0: (laughs) I think this gets into a
1: couple of those things that...
0: Jump a couple things in there. I didn't hear the, the Eldar one, so...
1: Oh, sorry. The Eldar there. one. We did kind of skip past that one. The Eldar one oh, is yeah. uh, Eldari is if you are Asuriani or Drukari, then you can take Harlequins as a uh, patrol detachment.
0: Which I find that neat and interesting because, at least in the Eldari Codex, you can include a Harlequins as a patrol detachment. So I like that they took the mm-hmm. Codex and then just kind of put it here as well.
1: Now, yeah. what's interesting is in the original article on Warhammer Community, they mentioned that uh, there would be special rules for Dark Angels and Drukari, for example, to build their armies in such a way that like reflects the codexes where you could have like a, for, like for Dark Angels, you could have a Deathwing and a Ravenwing detachment and then have your like main Greenwing detachment and that would all still work. And then of course there's the real Space Raiders style of building for Ducari where you can have like three different patrol detachments as long as they are Cabal, Witch Cult, and Homunculus Coven. Mm
0: -hmm. Those are not in here. (laughs) I think what we'll see, I'm going to jump ahead of Rob, Um, in the boarding actions, those rules also mention um, faction-specific rules, which are not in there, but GW released those Boarding action specific rules as a PDF download on their downloads page. So I'm thinking the day this drops, they will probably have all the faction specific ones on their um, downloads website.
1: So, it's funny you mention that. Hopefully. Because one of the FAQs, they they released a set of FAQs, like I mentioned with the the Brood Brothers for Gene Stealer cults. They also released one for Dark Angels. And the Dark Angels one says, like, if every unit in your army has the Dark Angels keyword, uh, then Dark Angels, Arcs of Omen detachments, and Vanguard detachments that only contain models with Deathwing or Inner Circle get the first company ability. Same thing for Ravenwing. So, it's like if you have an Arcs of Omen detachment that is all deathwing or all ravenwing then they the rules will work properly for it they do not mention though any change to building that now maybe they are holding off because this book isn't technically out yet but it still seems weird that they would release this faq before that book is out yeah so it still feels like there's a gap there that needs to be addressed
0: Uh, we'll wait and see
1: yeah but as of now uh dark angels and drukari Actually, get some of their army building options s- strongly curtailed, and uh, it's it's weird to me that they called it out in that article, and it is not reflected in the text and when they first sent us this to preview, we remembered like, "Oh wow, you can't build dark angels or Dukari properly in this detachment yeah uh, they'll probably do something for it. Oh, they said they 're going to do something for it. they haven 't done as of recording, they have not fixed.
0: This have yet. faith they will. I'm sure
1: there will be an <laughs> FAQ released for it. I'm sure they will cuz obviously by the time they got us the the PDF of this book to review that like the print process is already in like happening. Like right. they can't yeah. go in and fix yeah. it. So we'll I imagine we're going to see like a day zero FAQ or a day one FAQ for this to address that um but it's not out there yet. So we don't know how those are going to work. We're assuming that they will fix that in post. <laughs> yeah hope so um
2: uh, determine- with the with, okay with the battle brothers i'll say this just real quick there's a couple of things in here that I thought were kind of interesting that they left out um so uh space marines can't ally in guard for example like I'm you can't build the yeah but like i don't it's just it's kind of surprising with that like i'm surprised they left that out um i know that like Votan can only ally with with imperium and not with something like, say, Tau, which, in the f they have a relationship with the Tau as well. I it's, it's interesting, like, I'm fine with a lot of this, like, I think it's it's good that they simplified it, but it's very interesting that they left, like, a lot of the Xenos armies just kind of out in the cold, you know, and didn't, don't have any options, or very limited options, like, if you're taking a Harlequin's attachment, you can't add in the other stuff. If you're taking a Yanari detachment, like... I mean, I guess, I guess, I don't know, I'd have to... Actually, this this, this
1: this detachment is actually very good for Inari, because it gives you a lot more slots to build with. Yes. Because okay, it, Inari counts as an yeah. Assyriani army, but you can also take okay. Harlequins okay. and Drukhari in the same detachment. So having more slots to do that with is actually much better for Inari. I think they um, actually fair enough. get a boost from this.
0: Right. and fair you enough, remember I was trying when, to
1: remember how the keywords worked.
2: Yeah.
0: Battle Brothers first came in play that was, I don't want to say a mess, but it was kind of a mess. And it took a couple years for it to kind of filter out. And I think they're they are introducing, I don't want to say drip feeding, but introducing it a little at a time, see how this works. They don't want to put too much out there. And you can also, if you want to look at fluff-wise, maybe the votan are just merchants to the Tau right now. They're not actually fighting with them. While in the fluff, we actually have things of Squat slash votan mercenaries working mm. alongside the Imperium.
2: Yeah, it's just interesting, like stuff they left out, you know, or or chose not to include. And again, maybe it's not a huge deal, but it, most of the options in here are for Chaos and Imperium, and it does leave some of the armies a, a little bit, little bit short on the battle brothers stuff.
0: Orks, not a big pal, deal. I just votan.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just it's just interesting. So Also Necrons. we see that there uh with no well, with no supreme command detachment being available, you also lose things like you can't have Abaddon in a Supreme Command Detachment leading a non-Black Legion army.
2: Yep. Because I'm if you have him
1: in a Chaos Space Marine detachment, everything has to have the same Legion keyword. So yeah, Abaddon can only lead the Black Legion. Shadow Sun can only lead a Tau Sept army of tau you know it th- just things like that and there may not be big impacts although i think the abaddon one is relatively big because i've seen yeah. a lot of chaos armies that like splashed in abaddon that's just include him, no yeah. longer an option um also uh, we still have the, uh, we are starting with six command points as we did in Nephilim, um, in the individual missions, you still gain command points on each player's turn, not just your own. So we are, st- we, I think they are happy with how that has worked out so far. And so we still yeah. have, you have to pay for your first warlord trait. You have to pay for your first relic, but we also have a new it- stratagem called heroic support, which allows you to circumvent some of the risk. Rest- codex level restrictions on how many of a particular like unit type you can have so for example the one that gets brought up a lot is tau commanders tau can only have one commander per detachment um, because you are now limited to one detachment because you can't ally in tau with tau um, you have a like you can actually spend a cp to add a second commander to your tau list which is a really nice bit of flexibility to kind of make up for the fact that you can't do multiple detachments and try to get around it. Right. Um, Except for Gene Steeler Colts. Gene Steeler Colts are still banned from having duplicates. They are specifically called out in the stratagem. Right. (laughs) Also, it has been pointed out that because this, the way the stratagem is worded, which says um, if a detachment ability would limit the number of times you can include a unit of that detachment to one, you can include it up to two now. Also, Means that one of the things about Farsight Enclaves was they could already take two commanders per detachment. This does not allow them to get to three. They are still locked in at two because their restriction says yeah. two and not one. So the stratagem does well, not apply to them. The one I was but they don't have to, to spend for. command points for it. So yeah.
0: yeah, the one I was hoping for it, it doesn't work on this either because like the host of heroes for shield captains does not say detachment. It says army. Sad.
1: Yeah, it's not a. Det-
0: yeah, I can't have two shield captains on jet bikes.
1: <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there are still like this does allow you to circumvent some restrictions, but not all of them. Um and so it it is going to be like it's definitely going to change up how how armies are looking on the table. Well, honestly, I like this. I I think that it does encourage monofaction building while still allowing yep. uh thematically appropriate like splashing in of allies but without allowing you to kind of like again game the army building to do weird things because i think i really do think they are trying to get rid of soup armies except where it is thematically appropriate
0: okay Mm -hmm. one thing i'm gonna note is we still have to pay for the warlord trait and the relic Mm -hmm. but it doesn't feel as painful now as it did in nephilim I don't know whether that's because I'm used to it, but I think it's more because the Arcs of Omen detachment is zero CP. And I wanted to do like a Vanguard detachment or an Outrider detachment. And I had to pay three CP just to use that. And so it made buying a Warlord trait and a Relic really tough when half your CP's on your detachment. So now I feel like I've got three extra CP I can play with. So yeah, I'm gonna make sure I put a warlord trait and a relic out there because those are really useful on your characters.
1: Oh yeah, and I, like mm-hmm. I the same thing with like playing Death Guards, like if you wanted to use Mortarian, like Mortarian had to be your warlord, so you'd have to take him and that would make that Supreme Command attachment free, but then if you took the like the battalion, he'd like you'd be paying three C P for everything else, and then you'd want the Warlord trait and possibly a relic on top of that, and so you're down to like, you know, one, one. C P to start with. <laughs> And so now, it, Mortarian's free, and they also, the Warlord Trait Stratagem does specify if a character has multiple Warlord Traits, they get all of them for one cost. They don't I have like to they pay. spelled that out. Yeah, I mean, we kind of figured out, like, it was pretty much worked out, but it's good to have it spelled out from the, from the jump on here.
0: And uh, the Relic also spells out that it's to give a Relic to a non-named character, just assuming the Relics on the named characters are already built into their points.
1: Right. So uh definitely like this set. And I think you're right. Having the – and, you know, also those allied detachments that you can bring in causes zero CP. So, like, having CP not tied to army building at all kind of makes it just a standard game mechanic rather than, like, an army building const- constraint. Which, be- like, we had 8th edition where arm- CP was based on what you built. In ninth edition, <laughs> CP was based on what you used when building – and now with ninth edition Arcs of Omen, CP is based purely on, like, what buffs you want to give your army, which is kind of where it should be. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Didn't think of it that way, but it works out.
1: Yep. Uh, let's see. Missions. There are a few new missions, and a few missions have been a- updated. Uh, I think about half of them are relatively unchanged. We're not going to go through each one one by one. Um there's much more in-depth analysis on places like Goonhammer. We are trying to cover two books in a relatively short amount of time. That also doesn't get into all these secondaries, which all of them are printed in here, not all of them from your codexes, because they a lot of these have been updated. Um, however, I do appreciate one thing, uh, step nine for choosing secondary objectives. There are three default secondary objectives always in place that you can choose to replace, rather than always having to pick three if you just want to go in and play you can just say yep the ones in the the ones that they give me by default are just fine i can go with that and the ones for that are there by default are assassination grind them down and behind enemy lines which are assassination is kill characters grind them down is kill more enemy units than friendly units died in a battle round And behind enemy lines is have units from your army in your, like within uh, your opponent's deployment zone. So three very basic, very achievable missions that are just always enacted by default. And then you can change them out if you want. Also, each of those missions has an extra benefit if they were carried out by, if the things that triggered the action were a troops unit or an armager or a war dog because knights can't have troops, Um, you gain a command point. So, for example, uh, if an enemy character was killed by a troops unit, an armager, or a war dog, you gain a command point for assassination. Um, uh, Same like battlefield uh, behind enemy lines. If the unit that is scoring you behind enemy lines is a troop... War dog or armager, you gain a command point. So while you are not required to use troops, the game actually gives you a little bit of a be- boost if you do use troops to do those things, which is a nice touch.
0: I mean, now that troops aren't required, here gives them the extra benefits that we were talking about.
1: A mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, couple other changes. Uh, strategic reserves are always free. Like, you don't pay any CP to put anything in strategic reserve, which is – especially, like, considering flyers have to start there, that's kind of a nice thing. Like, you don't have to pay CP to use flyers, for example. Also, if uh, you have transports on the table, they have to have units embarked within them. If, uh, If you don't have a unit inside a dedicated transport, then that transport cannot be set up on the table and is considered destroyed. (laughs)
0: I mean, I I kind of like that because it makes the transports you're taking them because they're a transport, which also makes sense for some of the other vehicles were like, why is this in the fast slot? Not a transport, AKA Sagittars, because they're a fast vehicle with a gun that can carry people if you want them to, but you don't have to carry people. So they're not a dedicated transport.
1: Right. Whereas like a rhino, yeah, you if a rhino is a dedicated transport, you have to have somebody in the rhino, so because that's all its job is is transporting people from place to place. So, uh, yeah, no, I I like that restriction. Also, uh, this was not in chain, not in place specifically for arcs of omen i believe this was in nephilim and possibly before that as well but i do like the fact that in grand tournament play you declare all your like reserves and transports and everything before you start deploying so that there's none of those like how many times in older like in like eighth edition, <laughs> where it's like okay i'm okay i place you on the table yep this one's going to deep strike Okay. I'll place another one. Yep. This one's in deep strike. Like your opponent can basically fake you out on deployments. That's no longer a thing. So, I mean, it hadn't, it hasn't been for a while, but I do like to bring it up. Deployment is still alternating. Uh, although they did put in, uh, they, there was something in here added. I believe, I believe it was added in this one about, um, if you have a unit that is too big to place in the deployment zone, which has come up with a couple of like the Forge World flyers. It does not come up very often, but, if you have one, you put it, like, with its the back edge of its base or hole against, like, the back of your deployment zone, and it can't move that turn, and it counts as having moved. So the idea is it rolled onto the table just now and in, in the first turn. Uh, players roll off. Winner takes first turn. Same as normal. Um, yeah, otherwise, pretty much the same, although they did also tweak the conceding mechanic. Um, no, there is no longer if you concede, your opponent automatically gets like a fixed like 70 points. It is if you concede, the score is what the score is at the end of at at, at the point of conceding. So like if you so there's no more, oh, my opponent was up to like 80 points. I will concede. You get 70. Yeah.
2: No, I like that. That having clearer concession rules can elim- Hopefully, will eliminate some of like chicanery and stuff like that from from games. And sometimes that you know that there's been accusations and stuff in the past of players like booting and stuff like that. So hopefully, this cuts down on that. Um, hopefully, it's not really an issue any you know at all. But yeah,
1: having clearer rules for that I think is better. No, absolutely um we do also get our first uh preview of world eaters i I will i don't want to bring up many of the the secondary objectives because again we'd have to go through like one by one and and do a lot of comparison that's going to eat up a lot of time and we still have a second book to get through but we did get our first preview of world eaters secondary objectives including one called uh the blood gods do at the end of each player's turn score one victory point for each objective marker on the battlefield that was drowned in blood that turn <laughs> So, to drown it in blood, you have to like kill enemy units that were within range of that objective that turn um, I we love also have how over the top world <laughs> years are
2: yeah th- there's
1: <laughs> one for um at the end of each battle round before purchasing any blessings of the blood god, you may discard one, two or three blood tithe points if you do, so you score two v p for each blood tithe point discarded to a maximum of five, so mm-hmm. hey, confirmation blood tithe points are back in the codex. I like it. <laughs> And you spend them to buy blessings of the blood god. So it's yeah, you're corn demonkin dude. <laughs> it's it's eh, it's back. <laughs> it's back, baby. <laughs> and so yeah, I mean that's yeah. like so so yeah, basically the first like the the mission rules and the generic special uh secondary objectives are like the first eighteen pages, and then you've got another oh 36 pages of secondary objectives for factions and then we've got nine incursion missions and nine uh strike force missions and then we get our uh mini rule book at the end. So again, and I think with the army building rules in here with the detachment, you could play the game entirely off of this book and your codex. I will uh, which is yeah. Which is way better than having to br- – and because you are kind of limited outside of, like, the few allies you are allowed to bring, um, you are limited effectively to one army most cases. It's going to make traveling to tournaments much easier by having this yeah, and a codex and that's it. So I very much like what they're doing with this. Um, you know, they have said that, like, every season they're going to do something different. This is definitely a big shift whether it paints a picture of what's coming for the next edition or if this is just kind of an experiment. We don't know if like, is this, is this to ease people into 10th edition or is this just something that they're experimenting with, with this, uh this season to see like, if it gives them the gameplay results they want to see. We don't know yet.
0: I think it's yeah. a little column a, a, little column B.
1: But yeah, it makes me wonder if they've kind of decided that like the army building that they set up for eighth and ninth is, is, like they've they've had they've given it two editions to kind of play its course and or to run its course and it's they still are not getting what they want gameplay wise out of it. Because that, that's what this feels yeah. like a little bit. Well, I think anytime you have
2: a, a complicated system, like which which is what they had in, in eighth, ninth edition, there's potential to abuse it. There's potential to find gaps in it. And having a just simpler, like more straightforward, streamlined thing fit for everything there's still some scenarios that you can't build armies in but it feels like it's going to be a lot harder to abuse this so
1: no i absolutely agree it's like the army detachment building felt almost like its own mini game that you were having to play to figure out how to take the army you wanted to take and this this is both far more permissive while still having plenty of restrictions in place to keep you from just like cramming all the models to get like ultimate synergy together so no i do like this i like this a lot i'm actually a little bit more excited to to play some competitive 40k this year with this book and it, like even going in doing like eh, i could just try to make an army to to fit the generic uh like the the fixed secondary objectives if i don't want to even bother choosing no i <laughs> yeah. mean it's it's nice it's no, kind it's of fair. like a, a bit of a brain offload it's like i i mean i will still probably look at whatever faction i'm picking but i also know like there's perfectly good ones in place like if i don't want to be bothered trying to pick one and then each of those like there's still like two generics per category available so like i don't Like, if I don't like one of those, even if I don't want to go to my faction-specific ones, I still have options to switch out. So I I think it's a a good level of plenty of options, but also plenty of things in place to make this very easy to just jump into. Like, if I was going to teach somebody, how like, competitive play, I think the Arcs of Omen Detachment is really good because, A, you don't have to mess around with how much command points you get from building your army – Uh, You you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about picking secondary objectives because they're just in place. You can just like, okay, so what do you got? All right, well, let's fit it into this chart. Okay, you look good. You play that. Here's what you're trying to do in the mission. That's already decided. We can just go play. And then you can start to work people into, okay, now this is, like, here's where you might want to change out a secondary objective. Here's how you might want to, like, add in an ally if you, like, it, oh, you, you bought that, that kit because it looked cool? Okay, let's f- see if we can figure out how to build it into an ally detachment. Yeah, you know, like, I like that. So,
0: so I think- you like that it's a base and tweaks rather than just everything thrown at you all at once.
1: Yes, very much so. I th- I think you can you can work at this, but at the same time if you are a dedicated competitive player with a lot of experience, there's a lot here to work with and and still like get a lot out of it at a more complex level. All right, I'm going to use this as a chance to move over to the other book that is coming out the same time and that is Arcs of Omen Abaddon. Uh this is a uh this is the first in the Arcs of Women narrative series, and it's also the first uh, book with boarding action rules in it, which is actually probably the larger part of the book because the fluff section – there's, like, a photo section in the middle, but the fluff section is only, like, 36 pages. Mm-hmm. And uh, the rules section is another, like, 40. So it's a relatively short book. Yeah, I think the whole thing maxes out. <laughs> it's, like, it's at about – the book is 88 pages long and a few of those are just like decorative so it's a a relatively short book Um, the fluff is basically built around Abaddon trying to figure out what he's like, what is his goal? What, what is he trying to, to achieve in his war against the Imperium? Um, uh, there's a lot of time spent to like the fact that he doesn't like working with the dark gods because he feels like Horus got led astray and got like they basically cheated him at the last minute because they were too busy fighting amongst themselves, which is absolutely true. I'm not going to, to, to disagree with him there. Mm-hmm. Um, He and the like the vengeful spirit is still being repaired after his encounters with uh, uh, Marnius Calgar on Vigilus. And during this process, techno demon infestation happens on the ship and ends up it turns out some like dark mechanicus on board the ship end up summoning Vashtor the Archifane, which is the new uh, like basically demon of the forge that uh, was revealed uh, a little while back. And, uh, Mm -hmm. he basically makes Abaddon a deal, like, I will help you out to, uh... Because Abaddon keeps having these – like, keeps seeing these visions, uh, like, from his oracles of, like, trying to find a key while the galaxy basically dies, like, during the death of the universe. And so, yeah, uh, uh, Vashtor is basically – he is an unaligned – I mean, he's aligned with chaos, obviously. But uh, as far as, like, the the great game of the four chaos gods, he is unaligned. He is – All about um, technology and ideas and he, unlike many demons, he is not seen as duplicitous. He just, he's very forthright and upfront. And he likes to make deals with demons where it's like, okay, so I'll give you a deal. I'll give you, if you promise to bring, to give me this many souls, I will help forge you into a basically a demon engine. And, uh, then you can, you can use that power to deliver what you like. I'll give you power and then you give me what I want. And a lot of demons aren't able to follow up on the deal, so they just end up falling further and further in debt to him. But he's very upfront about what the deal is, just whether it's up to you to, to actually carry it out. Uh, but his ultimate goal is he wants to be the fifth chaos god. He mm-hmm. is not a chaos at that level right now, but that is what he wants, and he sees Abaddon as the best way to achieve that. That is so- Molly Erasure, and I will not have it on this podcast. Sorry, <laughs> go on, <laughs> <laughs> go on. <laughs> and uh, so, like Vashtor basically says, "Yeah, I will. I will help you accomplish this goal if you track down the pieces of this key. This gu- basically the idea is it's a key to the we- to a weapon that would end the universe." type thing. And so they they go to a, a planet to fight against a chapter of Space Marines called the Iron Angels. And in the end, like, the, the Iron Angels are defeated, and inside they find this, like, large pillar of uh, marble in a stasis field. And Abaddon and Vashlor was like, okay, that's part one, and Abaddon's like, "Okay, yeah, but this isn't a weapon. What is this?" And Vastor says something like, "Look, when when a space marine talks about his bolter, he's talking about the stock and the trigger and the 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 black, you know, the the pin and the chamber and it's like all that. It's like it you don't this is just part of the deal. You need all the parts of the key. This is the first part. So I will help you with this." And so they start collecting space hulks and Vastor basically uses his techno-demonic manipulations to turn these space hulks into controllable ships. And Abaddon starts giving the the Arcs of Omen, which is what these space hulks are are called now, to various chaos lords. It's like, okay, I'm going to give you this gigantic amalgamation of ship, and you're going to go do missions for me. To prove, like, I give this to you, and then you're going to go to these planets, and you're going to find these pieces of the key and bring them back to me. And, uh, all of a sudden, the Imperium Sea – and, like, these ships always end up with, like, war fleets kind of coalescing around them as well. So it's basically, like, these gigantic armadas going out with, like, a huge mega ship at their core, some the size of small moons. And there's a lot of discussion of the fighting against them. Not all of the arcs of Omen are successful. In fact, a good number of them do get destroyed or defeated. Uh, and in some cases, by other Chaos Lords who are like, "No, I want that gimme," because Chaos is so good about working together. Oh yeah, it's one of the best. It's one of the best traits, right? Uh, the, like, there's, an, there's like a section where uh, there's a Ark of Omen that's been given to a Lord of Nurgle, and like at the last minute, a bunch of Alpha Legionnaires like reveal themselves and. Screw up all his plans and leave him open to being attacked by the imperium, like they didn't even want the ship, they just wanted to mess with him, so yeah, it's <laughs> when this starts happening, there's also a group of uh farseers that go and visit uh inquisitor kodiaz and like, okay, this is happening, and we're just we just thought we'd let you know um uh, you can do with that what you will, and kodiaz is like. Okay, thanks. And they're like, you're not going to help us? It's like, no, but I'm also not going to kill you, which is more than you get from most Inquisitors. So uh, be on your way. And they're like, okay, fine. They leave. And then Cody is like, okay, we need to go do something about this. (laughs) 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 But it does like, there are some like combined Eldari. And I mean Eldari, not just Assyriani, combined Eldari strike forces that have like Drukari and Exodites and Corsairs involved. Uh, there's a discussion of, like, an Ark of Omen that attacks a world that was being mined by the uh, by the Votan. So, there's a, a war with the uh, the Greater Thurian League against one of the Ark. <laughs> so, uh, like, everybody starts getting involved. And one of the worlds, like, does not go – like, one of the fights on one of these worlds where a key – a key part of the key, like, a very important part of the key is located. And Vastor's like, okay, so – Um, the Imperium actually put up a stronger fight than you expected, Abaddon. What are you going to do about it? And Abaddon says, oh, I've got, I got two syllables for you. Angron. And that's like the last chat, like the last page Mm -hmm. of the storyline. And so, uh, like there's obviously they've set that up for the world leaders to show up in book two. Abaddon and Vashtor have larger plans in place. Everybody in the uh, universe is getting involved, like, there are orcs involved, Tyranids, like, because these these pieces of the key are on multiple planets, and those planets aren't just Imperium planets, like, there's all sorts of factions involved, there's, like, Necrons are involved, it's like, this. it's good for for a campaign book, because, like, one of the problems we've had in past campaign books is, like, well, this is great if you're playing factions that are on this planet, but this isn't necessarily good for, like, like there's a lot of the Vigilus stuff. I'm like, well, I'm a Tau player. I don't care because I don't because <laughs> the Tau aren't involved. But uh, we we get some photos of like Legion army or Black Legion models and more of the Chaos models. We get pictures of some of the new Cadian stuff, uh, the new Demon Prince model, which the 40k version of the Demon Prince model is looking pretty sweet. And then they get into the rules, and here's where we get into the boarding action rules. You can't play boarding actions, at least at this point, without a copy of this book, because this is where the rules for boarding actions are. And they do specify, besides the book that you are currently holding, in order to take your forces out to fight amongst the stars, you will need to pick up a copy of the boarding actions terrain set. Uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Like, I want to talk about the rules first, and then I will talk about my feelings <laughs> on the boarding actions terrain set. Uh, the set provides everything you see here with a myriad of different wall pieces, hatchways, and architectural elements included. In addition, it contains two fully detailed game boards depicting the crumbling decking and pipeworks of the ships you are fighting aboard. Because the idea is this is fighting aboard the Arcs of Omen themselves, like sending mm-hmm. in boarding actions to try to stop the forces of chaos on these on these hulks. Although chaos may not be the only thing that are present on these hulks, as these ships are the size of small planetoids. So the boards are broken up into squares called zones. Um, they show the definition of like walls and hatchways, and and whether a hatchway is open or closed how to set up these pieces of terrain you will no doubt have noticed by now the boarding action battles use unique terrain to lay out the claustrophobic corridors of the hu- spacecraft where your fights take place this terrain is highly modular and can be clipped together in a large number of different configurations i wish i could talk more about this terrain but i have not had a chance to to look at it yet we we have not had a
0: chance to preview this the pictures look cool though
1: the pictures do look really cool Um, the train is highly popular and can be clipped together in a large number of different configurations. If you are playing one of the boarding action missions presented in this book, the mission map will also show you where to set up the train features along with positions of the hallway. Each piece of train will be coded, allowing you to quickly identify which piece it corresponds to. Uh, there will be a key on, on a couple of pages denoting like what the coding means and like which pieces there are.
0: And Uh, I will say I really like that because it does remind me of, like, the U.S. Open things where you had predefined, here's how the buildings are going to be set up. When you see these missions, you have predefined, here's how the map's going to be set up.
1: Right. And they even mark out, like, they say, like, hey, there are going to be pillars. Like, the areas where, like, four zones touch, there's going to be a little, like, square area there. That's where these pillars will go. The walls will run between them. So it's a very clearly delineated way of building the board based on, like, if you are playing these missions, use these configurations, set things up this way because the zones themselves are very important. Mm-hmm. Boarding action rules. One thing about boarding actions, you get one CP at the start of each player's command phase. So much like uh, tournament play, both players are getting CP. Um, players can use their command points to use boarding action stratagems. That is any stratagem with a boarding action label. Players cannot use any other stratagems. All that stuff that's in your codex doesn't matter. All the things that are in the core rulebook, ditch them. They don't matter for boarding action. The only stratagems you can use are boarding action stratagems. There's three of them. <laughs> <laughs> because the three of them are command reroll, counteroffensive, and insane bravery. That's it.
0: Those sound familiar.
1: They are. Yeah, I mean, they are. They are familiar. They're very basic stratagems. Very. I mean, they're good universal. Everybody can use them. They discuss like how measurement works, like working around pillars, what engagement range is with hatchways, because it's engagement range is two inches through through like hatchways. So you can still fight with somebody through a door, even if the wall keeps you from being able to be even within an inch of each other.
0: Right. And this is kind of a slight change because it's two inches away from the model you want to fight as opposed to two inches or one inch away from someone in engagement range. Right. So it's kind of changed a little bit to so make note of that. Um,
1: visibility is important. Like if you are coming around a corner and you can see like three models of a five model unit, you can only apply damage to those three models. Like once you run out of targets that you can actually see from that model's viewpoint – like the attack sequence ends yeah visibility a model is visible to an observing model if you can trace a straight line from any part of its base to any part of the observing model's base without that line passing through any of the following a wall a closed hatchway or a model that is not part of the observed models unit so you can explicitly screen models with other units which is kind of nice
0: or you can accidentally screen your own guys who want to shoot with your own units
1: yeah with not not from the same unit, but yeah, if you have like a second unit move up, yeah, you might accidentally block off line of sight, even though you're like, well, I can kind of see that, but if the base if the imaginary line would cross over the base of an intervening unit, then it doesn't uh then you can't actually you're not considered visible unless you can't allocate attacks to those models,
0: yeah, for the most part, you're just attacking closest unit to closest unit.
1: Um, also they point out that any, th- any you- rules that would allow you to fire at someone who you can't see don't work and like well, those course. rules don't work in uh, boarding action. You have Aww, a ceiling. No above you. You're not
0: going to, f- you're not going to fire barrages,
1: right? So like visibility, like visibility is a very big part of this, which makes sense. You're, you're talking like tight hallways going through, through doorways. If you could just like, I can see one guy I can put wounds on the entire unit. No, they don't want that. They want this to feel like cover and line of sight really matters on a model-by-model basis. Um Let's see. Each time a range attack is allocated to a model, that model will receive the benefits of cover against the attack unless it is fully visible to any models in the attacker's unit while mo- uh, cover still adds one to the saving throw. Um. In addition to any rules that say the target of an attack does not receive the benefits of cover against that attack, this benefit will not apply if it's affected by a rule that says the target does not receive the benefits of light or dense cover. So uh, again, yeah, like, there's only one kind of cover in this and rules that would say you ignore any kind of cover, ignore that cover.
0: So the Votan scanners on the troops would be really useful.
1: Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, they do specify that you can always move through a hatchway, even if your base is technically bigger than the hatchway.
0: <laughs> Screech down,
1: but that's just a nice thing to like spell right. out. It's like, yeah, yeah, sure, the model can't physically move through, but we, you know, like, we get what you're t- what you're doing with this.
0: I want to see the giant ogre and squeeze through the hatchway. Oh.
1: <laughs> um, objective markers they do specify should always be forty millimeters. I think that has become a standard objective marker size. Good to know. Um, Which fire powers they specify that only visible models can actually suffer mortal wounds f- from a witch fire so if you like if there's two models visible and you cast a smite and do three mortal wounds the third one will not spill over to the people you can't see so again just keeping it consistent with other other attacks um, charging you can only charge a unit you can see You cannot charge around a corner blindly.
0: No Kool-Aid bands?
1: No Kool-Aid. You can't charge through a closed (laughs) wall either. No Han (laughs) Soloing. You can only heroically intervene towards visible models. Makes sense. And uh, in boarding actions, each time a unit piles in or consolidates, the first model moved must end its move within engagement range of at least one enemy model. And each time a model makes a consolidation move, it must end that move within engagement range of a model that was visible to its unit when it started the move. If this is impossible, no model in the unit can make a pile-in or consolidation move this phase. So you can't just move towards the closest thing. You actually have to pile-in or consolidate into a, like yeah. an actual engagement range.
0: So no extra free movement. You're, you're going to go fight someone else or you're just going to stand there.
1: Right. Um, actions you can take. Uh, securing site you can, if a unit has objectives secured, then they can basically do what Space Marines do. They can take an action to claim an objective.
0: I kind of wish this was a generic action anybody could take in the regular game, but I'm I'm okay with Space Marines having this as an ability. But as an action, I think it's really cool.
1: Yeah, and considering you may have to move, like, you will have a small number of units, and you have to be able to, like, move up to the next objective, which may be kind of wandering through hallways. Oh, yeah. um, It's good to be able to, like, okay, we've got this objective. We're going to move beyond it, but it's still ours for the purpose of scoring. Here it
0: makes total sense. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Um, set overwatch is an action. Um,
0: (laughs) takes me back.
1: Yep. Each time an enemy unit is set up on the battlefield or sends a normal move, ends a normal move, advance move, or fallback move, charge move, or opens a hatchway, units who have, uh, set overwatch can fire overwatch at the unit, you know, assuming they're visible. And it it works like overwatch, like you only hit on sixes, but it's not based around charging. It's like you can set up and say, like, if somebody crosses your line of sight, you can fire at them like old second edition yes, 40k rules a little bit of infinity like if you're looking at more recent rule set yeah you I like that that's a nice action to have
0: I, I was viewing it as like you said second edition where you could actually set up a squatted overwatch except they got full ballistic skill then I believe while here it's like you can do the second edition set overwatch but then you do the current you still only hit on sixes oh
1: yeah um you can all some units will have a rule called hold steady. They hit on Overwatch on a 5 up. So just a, a little extra rule that some things will have. You can set to defend, which is a lot like setting to defend when you're charged, except this is something you have to do as an action to kind of prepare for it. And then operating a hatchway, opening or closing a hatch is an action.
0: Which this is the weirdest. Well, it's not that weird of an action because I mean, you do it at the start of your end movement phase, or the end of your movement phase, and it ends at the end of your movement phase. So it doesn't take really any time at all, but the funny thing is, well, I guess that's just grabbing the handle opening a door, which doesn't take any time at all.
1: Well, but it could fail, because if there's an enemy model on the other side of the hatchway, you do a strength roll-off to see who can because you can choose to try to hold the door closed.
0: Oh, not worried about that. None of my armies really have much strength.
1: (laughs) Like you you do it. Yeah, you roll off, add your strength, and whoever wins either – like if you were trying to open it and you win, you open the door. If you fail, then they keep the door closed and you fail the action. So, yes, the action doesn't really take any time, but there is still a check to see if it fails. It's just like you don't have to spend a whole turn trying to open and shut the door. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that would be kind of silly. If a hatchway yeah.
1: opens, and units on opposite sides find themselves within engagement range, those units will be eligible to fight, but neither of them counts as having made a charge. It's like, "Oh, look, you're there, I will hit you." Mm. yes, I like that
0: i I don't know if this would be a tactic for orcs to just stand by doors, but it might be
1: <laughs> it could be um uh, boarding action boarding action enhancements, we'd say we already talked about the stratagems uh you do not use warlord traits or relics in this. Instead, you select a boarding, like your warlord in the boarding patrol can be given a single enhancement, which could be, and named characters cannot, uh, but like could be anything from superior boarding tactics. You start the game with two additional command points or a personal teleporter. You can have a unit arrive um, from, when a bearer arrives from strategic reserves, you can set them up in whole, wholly within one of your entry zones or anywhere on the battlefield that's more than nine inches away from enemy models. Or you can uh, defensive linchpin, an aura. You can basically have your your warlord have an aura that says units within six inches of him hold steady when they set to overwatch. So they can hit overwatch on fives. Nice. And there's six of those to choose from. Again, these kind of take the place of both warlord traits and relics. Army building, very different in – Building a boarding patrol because this is not a like it's not like you take a patrol detachment and drop it into this. It is its own army style. Zero to one HQs, zero to three troops, zero to three elites.
0: So, could I take an army with zero HQs, zero troops, and zero elites?
1: Sounds like it. Yeah, you just
2: theoretically yes, <laughs> but you
1: would lose. <laughs> yeah, it's a bold strategy, cat, and see if it works. <laughs> <laughs> but it is nice. Like you don't have to take an HQ for this this style of play if you don't want to um it is a 500 you have 500 points to spend so that's your hard cap 500 points so it is combat patrol level but it isn't exactly combat patrol mm-hmm. um, for each box shown on the detachment you can select a unit with a required battlefield role and add it to the detachment um You must include at least one unit in this detachment. So there you go, Dennis. You cannot show up with an army that is zero, zero, zero. You have to have at least (laughs) one unit. The unless boarding action rules for your chosen faction say otherwise, and we'll get to that because that has been a separate thing, which is not in here and seems like an oversight. You cannot include any models in the boarding action army that have any of the following keywords, monster, vehicle, jump pack, cavalry, biker, or fly. I think all of those pretty much make sense. I should be able to use my jet pack
2: my jump packs inside the
1: building. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> a boarding patrol detachment can only have only include one character model, which means if you have an HQ, That's a big deal. you can't take any character elites either. Mhm. And then unit size also has some restrictions. If a unit's minute, minimum size is less than 5, you can only use that a unit in your boarding patrol if it is a minimum sized unit if it's five, you can include that unit as a minimum sized unit or if it can add additional models, you can get it up to ten you cannot include a unit with a starting strength of more than ten models you cannot include any under strength units in your boarding patrol so if you have a unit that can take three models that 's what it is it's three if you can take a if it's a five you can go up to ten if it's ten you're fine if it's an eleven for some reason. You can't take it at all. I can't just flood the the board with Pox Walkers.
0: <laughs> no, I don't think you'd want to either.
1: It'd be really funny.
0: <laughs> <laughs> sure.
1: And then, like you know, the, they you know talk about like how like deducting points and everything. It's like, yeah, we know how to calculate points for an army. And then uh, select one model in your army to be a warlord. It must be a model with a character keyword. If not, then you warlord must be a unit champion model. If your warlord is a character, then they gain the superior boarding tactics enhancement, but which is the one that gives you two extra command points, or you can choose to replace that with a different one. Only characters can actually have the the enhancements. You can't just, like, like I have a sergeant in that squad. Well, too bad. He's your warlord, but he doesn't get any enhancements. Fair enough. And then... The way setup is diff, it, it works is even different. Like, so we mentioned, like, you can get units up to 10. Each unit in a player's boarding patrol that has a starting strength of 10 must now be split into two units, each five models. So everything gets combat squatted.
0: Yeah. Which I find nice because like Votan, I've got my 10 man unit. Well, now we got two fives. Oh, I don't have to take Sagittars to do this. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I guess we do have the underdog rule too.
1: So yeah, if one player is has 30 points less than their opponent, then they are the underdog and every mission will have an underdog bonus. So, if for some reason you're playing down 30 or more points, the game gives you a little bit of a boost to try to make up for it. Which See, now 30 I could, points at five, at a 500 point game can actually be quite a big difference.
2: See now I'm seeing and envisioning a scenario where people are like, "Well, I'm only going to build to to 470 to like make sure that I'm under strength." And then someone else goes, "Well, I'm gonna only going to build to 430." And you just increasingly get smaller and smaller games until you're like playing with like 50 point units and 50 point armies.
0: I I would say don't <laughs> bank. I mean, maybe if you no, were around do 450, that. you could bank on it a little bit, but <laughs> some armies might come in at like 480, no. 490 yeah, because yeah, yeah. sometimes upgrades are too expensive and you'd go over type thing.
2: Well, and like for for Custodes or Space Marines and yeah. stuff like that where like, yeah, some of your cheaper units are expensive. No, I get it. I get why it's in there because you're going to wind up sometimes with weird list building, but I I'm just envisioning a scenario where it just spirals out of control and you wind up having like <laughs> two, you know, I'm I'm going to make sure that I'm always get the underdog bonus. So I'm bringing a 15 point model and that's my army. <laughs> <laughs> Can't imagine it'd be that useful. <laughs>
1: no, it wouldn't be. <laughs> and then like they do specify like once they're combat squatted, they are considered separate unit independent units from that point on. So I don't I think they uh would they don't even count as like combat squatting for the purposes Correct. of like, killing units. They are completely separate. And then each board will, each map has a number of entry zones. Three or four. Yep. And so, like we mentioned, like the the board is broken up into square zones. Those are where you can place your units to enter the board, and they are not contiguous. They will be scattered throughout the board, on like one side or the other, and not always strictly down the middle either.
0: And once you Uh, deploy a unit on each square, you you. Like, if you have four deployment zones, once you've used your four, everyone else is in reserve. So, it might not be helpful to have, like, three... I mean, if you have three squads of ten troops, well, there's six five-person squads. Well, automatically, two of those are going to be in reserve because you only have, like, four squares or four zones. So, that part of army building is going to be very interesting. Mm-hmm. And then, uh,
1: otherwise, you know, like determining first turn is pretty much the same scoring is on a the traditional like 90 point scale plus 10 for battle ready so you know scoring is a lot like you know match play the various missions do have will have like usually two like one or two objectives like there's one that has one objective but each of like you can score 25 points a turn if you Mm -hmm. do all the things on it but most of them have two objectives um, again, the board layout is very st- strongly spelled out, where, like, this is where pillars are, this is what walls are, here's what, like, this is section A1, this is, like, this, when they talked about that key and, like, having the the number written, like, on the bottom of the terrain piece so you know which one it is, mm-hmm. those are important for setting up these particular missions. So, like, the the missions are built with these particular layouts in mind.
0: And when I saw the boards, Rob, I kind of thought of you like, wow, these are very symmetrical. Rob would like these. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I do. I do actually like these. And, you know, they start out usually with, like, all the uh hatchways closed. So, yeah, you'll have to move up and use those actions to to open up. And I believe these boards, I believe it's just two 22 by 30 boards, like, set up mm-hmm. side to side. So it's two kill team boards.
2: No, I do like that they're all, like... Laid out because it it eliminates some of the uh you know some of the 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 variances you get with normal terrain setup and stuff like that where it's like nope this is very specific, um it it kind of almost feels like a cross between um uh oh gosh what's the age of sigmar one but like kill team and then the 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 War board game yeah like the warcry oh, like underworlds. kind of underworlds underworlds that's the one where it's like kind of almost board game ish and it's like this is specifically where things go and how you start. Like and I think that's good. Like I think I mean we'll talk about this I'm sure in summation stuff so like that. I don't know that this necessarily will replace 40k games, but as no. another way of playing and like another like style, kind of that kind of sets between like kill team and like the smaller games that we're talking about. I kinda like this. I, I think there's there's elements to this that that do have a strong advantage to it.
1: Oh yeah, no, definitely. I and there's there's a lot I like about this. Um I'm I don't know how I feel about the layouts being so tied to their particular style of terrain, but Like I like the idea of this being a bridging point between kill team and standard 40 K a different Mm -hmm. way to do combat patrol scale missions, a different focus on like line of sight, even being more important on a model by model basis. I really like that. The uh, deployment being like in these particular zones and like it makes it I think easier for for players to figure that like to to approach if they're relatively new to 4K. Again, like anytime you can have smaller game size, it's a really good way to get people exposed to it. And like, there's just a lot I like about it.
0: And with the HQ elite troop, you could have someone who has just one or two boxes, like maybe a troop box and a and an elite box. You can play this.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely oh, for sure. So and. I mean-
0: I think this could be a good way to air quote, get people into the game, except for one part.
1: <laughs> yeah. which we'll, we'll get to, um, like, and I like the, the variety on missions they have in here. Like there's one called power struggle where there's five objectives on the board. Four of them are theoretically connected. Like on the map, they're connected by power lines. And it's basically the four that are not in the center. And they, they mentioned like, Hey, you get more object, you get more points if you sc- are holding two objectives that are connected by the power line. So like, if they are directly connected, you actually earn more points. Or there's, like, there's a the mission furnace. where like, yeah, the furnace where there's basically a zone of death <laughs> that you can turn on and off, I believe. <laughs> yeah. Cause you can turn on the burners in the furnace and two of the objectives are in the furnace.
0: I mean, it's only mortal wounds. If you have a squad that has more than one model, you, you might be okay, right? Sure.
1: <laughs> but they also mention that any unit can attempt to secure, do the secure site action on objectives inside the furnace, whether or not they have object, like whether they have objectives secured. So, like, once you grab the objective in the furnace, you can hold on to it even if you aren't OBSEC, which is nice.
0: That's because um, nobody wants to actually stay in there.
1: <laughs> well, Yeah. There's a mission where if you control a particular objective marker on the table, uh, you can open and close all. You can like open every hatchway on the board because you can unlock every door. Or there's one where there's risk of decompression because some of the components will get can get uh vented to the vented into space. Or a mission where there's a radiation leak, so the radiation level in different parts of the board will get worse as the game <laughs> or can Yeah, play. extreme
0: radiation subtract 1 from the toughest char- characters of models in this unit. Oh well, I'll go from tough 3 to tough 2 if I'm Eldar. Or at least I mean vote on yeah. it might matter cuz I've got some tough 5s. Well, by that-
1: the pi- by the time you're taking uh you're at extreme radiation, you've also lost uh an inch from your movement, which could hurt a bit <sighs> as as yeah. Eldar too that's like no, that thing. actually
0: hurts photon more.
1: Oh gosh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Or actually, would it? Because I think they say that they they're immune to movement things.
1: I uh, know they are. Yeah, they're no, they are. They are immune to because they've got sure and steady.
0: Yeah. Ha! We don't care about radiation. <laughs>
1: Um, but like we mentioned the underdog bonus, like some of them are just like the underdog starts with an extra command point, which is still nice. Don't get me wrong, but there's one where there's an extra entry zone that if you're the underdog, you get to use it.
0: Okay. That is big. Cause like you said, there's only so many places to enter from. And if those places are filled, you can't actually move anyone else in there until like after you've moved everyone off. So if, you only have three and the other person has four and you've got like eight units, some of your guys won't come in till turn two. And even then, the guys in front will probably be blocking the pathways. So having a balance of enough squads, but not too many might be a thing to pay attention to in this format.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it brings sure. a whole nother challenge to, to army building. Yeah, most in most cases, the underdog bonus is uh, an additional command point, but having one where there's an extra deployment zone is kind of cool. So, yeah, I mean, that's – that is basically – that's the entirety of the book because it ends with those missions. And then they did make a download for the faction rules. So, Mustering Rules 1.0, which covers all the various factions. And so, each – faction may have adjustments to what they can take like sisters for example all your units have to be from the same order you can Im- include cult imperialis units you can have up to three character models but only if those can have a wounds characteristic of five or more or only one of them can have a wounds characteristic of five or more uh, Efriel Stern and Kiganil can still be included however despite both models having a wounds characteristic of five or more you can have sisters or Pinchy if the unit size is four or nine you can have arcoflagellants at three, five, or ten. Uh, you can have a fast attack slot, but only if it's a dominion. Uh, you cannot include the Triumph of Saint Catherine.
2: <laughs> Aww. <Fair>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Aww. Um, you can't give them the Rapturous Blows blessing of the faithful. And if you have a Sister's Repentia unit with unit size of nine, you can split it into a unit of four and five. And You know, they go on, like, they have rules for Custodes and, like...
0: I mean, how many- I will be happy with the Custodes because I was worried about Alaris Custodians because their minimum size is one. So they do say, oh, well, you can include that if its starting strength is one, two, or three. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And then you can choose to split them into multiple units, each containing one model. But that's a can. You don't have to. So you could have three Custodes as a squad or or break them up into singles later I, I find some of those interesting and but just I, I like going through all of them and I don't since we're not going to go through all but some of the fast attack and heavy um, units that make sense to have because they're all infantry are in here like I can for Eldar I can have a heavy support but it has to be dark Reapers I'm like makes sense I mean it's a little dangerous to fire those missiles inside of a thing but <laughs> sure Eh, why not
1: (laughs) like other changes uh, guard infantry squads do not get split into units of five Hmm. or um, like chaos demons you can have a fast attack slot but only if it's flesh
0: hounds (laughs) release the hounds
1: and you can include flamers even though they technically have fly but they can't have uh, but an exalted flamer model cannot have an enhancement Uh, don't ever split blue horrors units into separate units Let's see. They're like, uh, yeah, I don't want to go through all of them, but, uh, like, I know the Tau one, like, you can have crisis suits, they just don't get to move as though they can fly.
0: Leagues of Votan. I can have a heavy support, but if it's Thunderkin, I'm sensing a theme here.
1: <laughs> um, you can't flood the field with Gretchen. If you're orcs, you can only have one Gretchen unit, and you cannot split it. You do not split Lame. it up. Lame!
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, this is the other thing for Harlequins, is they have a lot of characters.
2: You can bring a Primark uh, Space Marine model. You can have a Lord of War, but only if it's your
1: Primark. So, so yes, you can bring Bobby G, who will be oh most my. of your points, or <laughs> the Lion or Russ when
0: they eventually come out. Yeah, I mean, that could be your army, zero to one. There you go.
1: Oh, yeah. They did release uh, – there's going to be a new Osriel model. Like, they've they've shown the video of him. We haven't seen, sure. like, the rules yet, but there is going to be a new Osriel model, and they're strong hinting that the Lion is coming. Bobby G is 300 points. You'd still have 200 points to work with. See? Bring Bobby G and some scouts.: <laughs> uh, Bring Bobby G and uh, three Bladeguard veterans.:
2: That actually, no, sounds what, like an army. That to actually wouldn't
1: That actually wouldn't suck at all. <laughs> no. Th- well, no, characters? You could, no, no, they're not characters. I've, well, three Bladeguard veterans would be be 105 points. You'd still have 95 points. You could bring, let's see, 95 points. You could bring a squad, like Blade Guard vets, a unit of 5 let's see, Intercessors are 18 points a model. So that would be, yeah, you could bring a, or that's in curses. Yeah, yeah, you are, they're Intercessors the same. So you could bring a unit of either Assault or regular Intercessors, a unit of Blade Guard vets, and Bobby G as your <laughs> army. <laughs> in this that would i am be kind of fun to play <laughs> i am a little disappointed that this wasn't included but at the same time having it as a download isn't necessarily bad because for example they can have an at ad- they don't have world eaters on here but they could mm-hmm. once they add world eaters so it lo- gives them some flexibility yeah the the faction specific uh, stuff being
2: able to like modify on the fly uh, that's fine
1: yeah over the, over the course of the Arcs of Omen series, we'll be providing a range of adaptations and mustering rules for each faction in the game. So each of these books is going to add its own stuff. This is just like the basic rules here. However, mm-hmm. rather than waiting for all the Arcs of Omens books to be released... We've compiled every faction's mastering rules right here, enabling all players to plan ahead with their army building. So, basically, this is the stuff that they would put in the books and will be in the books eventually. But they wanted this all out here up front so no faction feels left out. I appreciate that. That's That's good. good. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because, I mean, how many times have we said, oh, man – this one faction is being left behind. Their book's not out yet.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, or and that, like we said, like with other narrative play, it's like, oh, this this would be really nice if my faction was actually in this in this book. No, it's not a problem. So you can actually have this in here. Like, I like the fact that I can build a force that is like you can have a Phoenix Lord and uh, like their appropriate uh, Aspect Warrior. Aspect Warrior. So like I can have. Mogen Raw and, Ra and a Dark Reapers in here. The only downside is because Magen-Ra is a Phoenix Lord, he can't perform the secure site action.
0: That's not so, a problem, really. No. I mean, you don't want him doing anything.
2: <laughs> One other thing I just noticed as I was looking through like mustering boarding boarding patrols and stuff like that, and like coming up with and just kind of scanning this, it made me remember that there was also something else we didn't talk about under the news and new releases. So under Agents of the Imperium, mustering a boarding patrol, yada, 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 Inquisitor, yada, yada, yada. They also mention, when mustering a boarding patrol, select one of the following acolyte units, naval Imperialis troops, adeptus arbite's troops units, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We also got... Uh, the I think like on New Year's Day or or like the day before we got like the 2023 preview for oh right uh, yeah
1: that little for, video bit
2: yeah the little video and like it showed off what I'm assuming is a new Farsight a new mm-hmm. Arbites uh a new Phoenix Lord or something like that because like there was an elder there was some elder stuff in there like
0: well there
1: was definitely a Drukhari looking model and oh there's okay maybe it, that's what it is yeah and there's like a it looks like Boss Nickrot might be getting a new plastic model yeah. Which would fit with boarding actions very well. Exactly. Because he's like the, he's the, the orc commando leader.
2: So I just, I just saw that Adeptus Arbites keyword because that's not a keyword that exists currently in
1: the game. So it's like currently, but they do already have like, they, like, and it'll be interesting to see if we get, a different set because Necromunda has like the Arbite, like the Palatine
2: Arbite. It looks like it looks like they'll be different because it the the silhouette they showed in the video was like the standard, you know, the classic uh, Arbite slab shield and like helmet and stuff like that. So it, it looks different than the uh, Palatine Enforcers, who look more like guys in mini space marine armor, kind of <laughs> like. But uh so yeah I sorry I just that just I I I was scanning through there and saw that I'm like ooh Adeptus Harpites that reminds me there's they previewed silhouettes of models for the next year so
0: right well and now that we're still on this I will toss out remember how when the breachers the navy breachers came out and we're like oh, who's going to use that mm-hmm. it's a thing by itself that's only elite it uh, well here's where you use them you put them in a boarding action patrol and Absolutely. its own thing.
1: See now yeah. see this makes me sad because that box is sold out now the one that had the crew and the the naval and would have half the terrain I would need for this although I don't is the is that kill team terrain the same as the this because this has very particular piece configurations and i don't i'm assuming it is but i don't know because they don't mention like or you can use the terrain from these kill team boxes it
0: might be the same but in different amounts so it might be that two kill team boxes were not quite equal to one boarding action box
1: unfortunately yeah, into the dark i think is sold out now and like sold out online and Shadow Vaults is still available. I just wanna I think it's the same terrain. Maybe the the boarding yeah. action stuff looks a bit thicker.
2: So it's it does specifically
1: to- it does specifically list out so it's the same terrain, but it
2: does specifically list out what's included in the boarding actions terrain set. Four short walls with hatchway, four short walls with hatchways pillars, yada yada yada. So let me look at the end of the dark set to see what it says. It says Gallo Dark Terrain. <laughs> well, 54 pieces of Killzone Gallo Dark Terrain and 6 X six the, the, ex-Kill Team Barricades. The, the, kill, the,
1: doors. the Kill Team Barricades are standard, like, with Kill Team. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So it doesn't... So it is the same terrain. Like, you can look at it and see that it is the same stuff. But yeah, I don't know... It doesn't specifically list it out, so I... I well now I may need to go back by the game store and pick up that box, pick up that set they have. You make me sad. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but no, I think it is the same terrain, but it doesn't specifically say what's in it, but uh I imagine it's going to be
1: half of it. I mean, that's that's what I would assume. Um actually it doesn't look like it I'm looking at them they're very similar but they are and I'm assuming they're probably compatible like and the like the Gallo Dark kill team terrain is definitely like the two kill team sets are compatible with each other mhm there's some slight differences cuz like one of the kill team pieces there's like a big archway with like no peat or like just like a a, a runner across to connect to pillars without actually being a wall.
2: Hmm, So
1: there's some slight differences. I imagine the size and the pillar definition is close to being the same. So I imagine they're compatible because it looks like they use the same kind of slotting structure on the pillars. So I would imagine you can use them together. So they are... They are compatible. It'd be nice if it spells out if... Okay, no. The boarding action terrain, this box includes two full sets of gallo-dark terrain. So there you go. Oh, oh, there you go. That's an answer. Yep. And each gallo-dark terrain set is four short walls two uh, with pillar hatchway and pillars, two short walls with hatchway, two long walls with hatchway and pillar, two long walls with hatchway, two long walls with pillars, two long walls, two short walls, 16 pillars, and two wall ends. Because that would be there that'd yeah. be one half and then both of them together. Okay, so it is it is the same thing. So if you already have both and it looks like looking at the boards for the Gallo Dark sets, they're also broken out into zones. So you should just be able to use these mm-hmm. together as it. Like if you already have both kill team boxes, you're good to go. You can start playing this. This gets me into my biggest complaint. About this product, though. Yeah. I like the, I like this book. Don't get me wrong. I like this book. I like the storyline. It's kind of setting up. I like that every faction can be involved. I think the rules for boarding actions are cool. I think it's a nice bridge between kill team and uh, 40K. Um, I like the idea that it's a simplified, like there's only three stratagems, there's no warlord traits. Army building is pretty simple. There's some slight faction variants, but otherwise, you know, it's pretty easy to do it's very accessible i like the board game like you said kevin the board game aspect of it there's a lot i like about this this book at 88 pages with not all of it being fluff or yeah, with like a good chunk of it be- with a good chunk of it being fluff and several pages just being artwork and photos mm-hmm. should not be a 60 dollar book that's what this is up for pre-order Ooh. for
2: so and comparatively, because this is actually what I was looking looking up when my when my uh computer crashed and I had, and we had to like re- restart. Um the comparing the gathering storm, which is what this is, let's be fair. This is the, the gateway in the tenth edition. Um the gathering storm books were also sixty dollars, but they were 136, 132, and 138 pages. They so half you got a lot- again as big, yeah. Yeah. So you got like more story. And more fluff and more rules in there. So, yeah, it is a little bit disappointing that it's only a, you know, that it's a shorter book for 60 bucks. And as you mentioned, you know, it doesn't even completely contain all of the rules you need to play the game because some of them are also in a PDF that, you know, unless you follow the, unless you know to go look on the Warhammer community page, you don't know where those are. Like, you you, you don't know about those. So it's, yeah, I'm a little disappointed in the price
1: point. Now, the, what this should have been is, like, I, I appreciate – and maybe have a version that has all the storyline in it as, like, a $40, $50. I still don't think this should be a $60 book, not with this mm-hmm. page count. Um, but, like, I think about the various Crusade books, not the hardbound ones, but, like, the, the softbound, like – Oh, yeah. God. There the, there was the, the one with like tactical deployment where there was like all about terrain and like terrain using terrain in missions. And while I think that mm-hmm. book was kind of a joke, it wasn't a very good one. Sure. But there's they've had
2: other books like this in the past that yeah, that allow you to get yeah, to give you the rules out
1: there for for a lot give, cheaper. And give yeah. me a boarding actions book that's 30 bucks. That's how much like Arcs of Omen, the Grand Tournament Mission Packet is a $30 book. Yeah and it is an absolutely vital book to play matched play. Give me a boarding actions book that's maybe even 25 because it wouldn't even be as big as this necessarily, but give me mm-hmm. a much smaller book as an option. Yeah. I'm not saying it t- like it's either or, but there should be a cheaper way to to get these rules. The other problem is the terrain as the missions are defined in this book. Is very dependent on having that gallo dark terrain. And right now your options for getting that terrain are either buying two sets of kill team into the dark or shadow vaults. You need two of them. And one of those two boxes is sold out online. So you'll have to track (laughs) it down somewhere. And those are $185 and $210 each or if you just want the terrain because admittedly those do also c- com- those do also contain like four kill teams between the two of them.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: If
1: you just want the terrain, it is available for pre-order and it is $210. Like if you have a roommate or somebody you game with regularly and you can split the cost on this and you're going to play a lot of boarding action, I can totally see putting up like $100 each and getting getting a set of the terrain. But that's the thing. This is going to be something that is going to be very much focused on the people who want to get together and play boarding action on occasion. Yeah. This is not going to be a widely accepted thing, which is funny that it just strikes me as odd that Games Workshop would go all in on this as this is the Arcs of Omen thing. This is what we're doing with our our narrative for the next six months or so is we're leaning all in on this boarding action stuff. Oh, by the way, the price of entry for boarding action is $210 plus a $60 book. You can buy a bundle for two seventy. It's like,
0: I I mean, I have, no, I won't two minds on this. The first is I totally agree with the book being too expensive and I kind of wish the book was included in the boarding actions thing still keep it separate for the people that already have the Kill Team ones, but having to buy Boarding Actions box set, and it not having the rules in there, bothers me. Yeah. So, I, I would have liked to have both there, and I think as you said, Rob, it they are going all in with this, but I don't see that as a bad thing, because I see them having a release drop pretty much the same time where, here's the competitive player stuff, and here's the casual player stuff and when i say casual i think not organized play as much as mm-hmm. here's the people who are going to hang out in somebody's basement or game room and this is what they're going to do for an afternoon maybe once a month type thing. well
2: mm-hmm. so so to the price points for the books just as another kind of a side thing i'm looking through the kill team page on the gw site and the kill team annual the kill team morlock book the kill team octarius book $45 like That's not, you know, all of those books, $45. That's probably what the price point should have been on this. Um, because it would put slots it right in with the other, some of the other books that you've sold. The biggest problem that I have and the biggest thing that I think might end up killing boarding actions, uh, because of the, the cost of entry in the train and stuff like that. Three words. Kill team arena. Yep. That was my exact. That was, that was a $90 buy in. That was a $90 buy in to play that and nobody did it. I don't know that you're going to be able to convince people to spend a bunch of this money on this. I, that's, that's my concern. Now you might see store leagues show up with this and like gaming groups running boarding action events like that, but you will not see a tournament scene for this because I run a tournament, you know, games at at tournaments and stuff like that. If I were to run even a small, like 24 person boarding action event at a tournament, that's 12 sets of this terrain. That is. $2,000 $2,000 more, like in just getting this. Like, that's a big commitment. And then, like, or the flip side of like, hey, yeah, we're going to do a boarding team thing. Everybody bring half of a, you know, boarding set, like boarding actions terrain. Like, I, it's, I, I, I don't know. I, I see this as very limited from that perspective. The other, the other side of this that I will mention is, uh, cause I've already kind of started looking myself, people with 3D printers are probably mm-hmm. going to be able to go out and find, appropriate files and and make this and come up with their own systems and it may it may catch on a little bit more in regards to that but that's still like that's still a lot of extra work that's still a lot of investment for people that they may not want to make so i don't know i that's my concern is that kill team arena flopped because of these exact same concerns and this seems like they've doubled down on it and I don't know, I'm a little bit worried. It seems like it's a better game than Kill Team Arena. I will say that.
1: But oh no, absolutely. I do think <laughs> it's a better Although okay, so I will say I'm not going to give the search terms around, but I well, I'll say there are sites that collect where people post 3D printing designs that they have come that they are releasing for people to buy and print. And I will say that uh, I within while you were talking about that, I was able to find somebody has made a 3D-printed version. Uh, it's not an exact one-for-one look-like, so it is, mm-hmm. you know, we represent but are legally distinct from. Yeah. But it is representative of the pieces used for Gallo Dark and boarding action. And it is, like, the STLs required to print for like they tell you like this is how much you would need to print for kill team and then here's how much you would need to print for like and they even have the if you want to print out the boards so that they're broken mm-hmm. into zones they have that so it's all there like th- people yeah. are already going to do the 3D printing on this but again like you said that's a that's a cost of material and time And, yeah, it's probably going to be cheaper than – it'll definitely be cheaper than buying it from Games Workshop. And I think – I think Games Workshop – I don't know if it's a matter of they're over-engineering their terrain or if they're like, well, this is the cost of the terrain and that's just what it is. But it's like, you need to bring down the price point of this if you want people to adopt this. They are not going to adopt it at this price point.
2: I like that GW is putting out their own terrain. Like, I like that they're putting out more variety of terrain. I like that it's modular because, again – You buy one set of this and that's all you need. So, like, there are things to like about it, but yeah, the price point's too much at this point. Like, I, I, I have real concerns about people dropping 200 bucks on the needed terrain to play a different type of game.
1: Well, and what that does is it (sighs) only makes it accessible to people who are already into 40k, which is where I think that's a failure because this could easily be something that you aim at people who are new to 40k. Or who are just starting to get into 40K and are just, like, they have that small army size where they've got, like, a troop and maybe a character and stuff like that.
2: What I would have liked to have seen, and maybe this is something that they're going to do down the line or something like this. GW, if you want to do this, completely steal this idea. Come up with, like, a version of this that has, like, cardboard terrain in it. Or just cardstock terrain. And this... Breaks off your boards. This is all. the, And then also you can then be like, hey, here's the fancy $200 plastic terrain for people who want to buy that. But here is, even do it as like a free download. Here is the PDF for the card, you know, the, the layout of the cardstock terrain that you need to, to set these walls up, print it off, you know, print this off on cardstock or print the paper out and then put it on, you know, uh flex board or whatever. And boom, you can make all these things and you can play this game. And then also, hey, we also sell the fancy plastic terrain if you want to make your table look display quality. I wouldn't have a problem with that at all because I I like that terrain. That terrain's nice. I'm probably going to pick it up at some point because, yeah, I, I would like to have that terrain. But you're, you're right. Like the cost of entry is just too much. And like if you made that terrain available as like a PDF download of like here's the official terrain, here's the exact sizes, print this off paste it onto you know poster board and use it, then people could at least play the game without having to spend all of this extra money on on the on the fancy terrain.
1: Yeah. And it's like like Arbiter Ian did he's done a couple of videos on this because he did one about like building boarding action terrain using like the old cities mm-hmm. of death kits. And he's also done like a full story review. So like I, I will put links to those in the show notes because I think those are I think people should check those videos out because it, it's really, really good. But, like, you should even just be the tre- checking out his channel anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Our, you know, Ian puts out fantastic content. Um, but I think uh, I'm curious how well that's going to work because these pieces for these missions, like, you could use the basic rules with these, I think, without mm-hmm. any trouble with like but I don't know how well those older pieces of terrain are going to match up with like the Gallo dark, like zone maps and everything like that. So it's like, like it, it feels like they've created this unnecessarily restrictive format because of how tightly it's tied to the terrain. And I like, I say this as somebody who thinks these rules look fantastic and I wish I could have tried them out, but I can't because I don't have the terrain. It's what they didn't send us a a copy to pre to preview. I'm not, looking at spending two hundred and ten dollars on it and i'm looking at only spending two ten because i'm lucky they sent us a copy of the book first that puts me in a special position and even i'm like yeah yeah but this is too rich for my blood and yeah kill team arena is exactly what i thought of i still have my kill team arena set i've never painted it up i've never actually played it because no one cared yeah and I remember them talking, like, the, the thinking was like, okay, so how many copies of Kill Team Arena is the store going to have to buy to have a viable Kill Team t- Tournament? And the answer is zero because there isn't such a thing.
2: Yeah. And that's and that's disappointing because, again, like, there is, like, a use case for this stuff. Like, being able to have these types of things, like, it does, it could bring people in. It could, you know, it's more board game-like, so you might bring in people That have different ideas or different don't want to play 40k, but hey, this looks kind of cool. Like it's such a good opportunity to bring people in and then they've stuck it behind like an additional paywall and like Mm -hmm. all of the nice things they have to make it affordable, and then and then there's also that extra two hundred dollar charge to get the right. So that's just uh...
1: Well, and it's, it's frustrating because, like, there's a lot of other, ge- like, Kill Team, they've released the rules for Kill Team for free, and they even released, like, the Intercessor squad mm-hmm. rules, which is, you know, all sorts of people have access to Intercessors because they're in, like, so many of the cheap, uh, like, the inexpensive, you know, mm-hmm. s- starter level products for 40k. That's fantastic. I love that. Like you can play kill team and because kill team doesn't require any specific terrain, you can set up books and Pringles cans and stuff like that and play kill team with just like you mark out an area that's 22 by 30, put some terrain down, you can play kill team. You cannot do that with this because of the terrain restraints. Or the yeah. train, the, the restrictions on terrain. Uh, yes, there will be people who who do three D printed stuff. It's already out there. There is going to be people that sell MDF, like assemble your own kill team train that will be yeah. available for probably half the cost of this. Like you, you should be able to buy uh, a boarding action set of train for a hundred bucks. Yeah, like out of other materials. There is no reason why Games Workshop couldn't do that. They chose not to. Because yeah. there's no just, way you can convince me that, that that is $210 of plastic in that box.
2: Yeah, I don't know. It just it, Yeah, it just it feels like such a missed opportunity. And again, there is a market for people that will buy that terrain. Oh, yeah. There's absolutely a market for that. But like, yeah, make it easier for people to get uh, – Just it's frustrating. It's frustrating because it's, I think it might end up being the death blow to a really cool style of play that a lot of people want to play. And like, I mean, because um like people love Space Hulk. People love that game. They love the board game. This is basically that board game, but like much more flexible. But like you, you were able to get away with like cardboard and and stuff on there. You, you don't need all of this other stuff. Like, I don't know. It just, I really hope yeah. this doesn't kill it in this crib. I really no, hope that this isn't no. What, you could have done, the problem.
1: You you could have absolutely done this with like a Blackstone Fortress style like cardboard tiles. Yeah. Like, remember the pieces like that instead of having like two kill team boards full of terrain pushed together? And yeah, Mm -hmm. you could have absolutely made this work and it would have been way more accessible. And instead, this product is, like you said, paywalled behind plastic walls. And it's, it, and it does, it disappoints me. Do I want to play this? Yes. Am I going to? Probably not. And that, that makes me sad because I think this would be a great way to get quick little games in. That would be yeah. really thematic and fun and tense. Cause like, you know, the tight hallways and stuff. I think it would be really cool. And I'm never going to get to play it because the, well, I mean, I could, but also 210 bucks, like that could, like, if you're getting into 40k, it's like, you mentioned tournament yeah. organizers, like 210 bucks, depending on where you go, can get you a table's worth of like four by like a four by six table's oh, worth of terrain. And absolutely. it's like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to pay that for. A fraction of that for a format that is not going to be played by that many people. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense. So I hate to end on that downer note, but it's just like this is a fantastic game that is being released in a bad way. Yeah. And that that makes that's that's disappointing.
2: It feels like a throwback though to, to, you know, to bad guy GW. So there's that, I
1: guess. (laughs) I, I, I don't think, and that's the thing. It's like, I don't think they're necessarily being bad, bad in this regard as like being malicious. I just think I would like to, I would love to see like what the, the financials on this actually look like. Like, what are the costs on this? Could you afford to take a smaller percentage? Profit on this, and it, hey, yeah. maybe the fact that that how they produce their plastic maybe it is like hey, our margins are already tight on this i don't know, maybe it is, in well, which case you should like you said, you should look for cheaper ways to put this out there so people can play it,
2: and I'm sure this is probably a thing we'll discuss in the in the the next section as well, but um I would say that like in general, other games are like moving more towards like accessibility and making it easier for people to make their own stuff and like make things cheaper and then i thought about the D stuff so that's absolutely not true right um, <laughs> uh, so, so. but other miniature companies seem to be
1: making think trying to make things more affordable we'll put it that way <laughs> right and especially with something like this which is basically at a skirmish level too like yeah. there's no yeah so that's where we kind of end. I uh, hate to end on a on a downer, but otherwise, it's like we love the we love this gameplay format. We think it looks really cool. We just wish there was an easier way to play it. Yeah. Um, as far as hobby progress, I actually do want to talk about terrain. I haven't painted any 40k. I'm getting ready to. I'm getting ready to get back to like rebasing my sisters and painting all the new ones. I have them like queued up, ready to go for my my uh, uh, workshop. But that and I finished painting my Daughters of Cain, as I mentioned earlier. But um, I actually, I had something arrive yesterday in the mail and it was perfect to talk about. So at the beginning of January of last year, I backed a product on Kickstarter that was done by a company you may have heard of, uh, called Squad Marks. Squad Marks makes mm. these little plastic caps that you can like slot underneath your, uh, your models and you like, you can paint them up in different colors so that like this squad of 10 has red bases, little red clips. And this squad of 10 has blue bases, but because there, you don't actually have to paint on the bases themselves. You can swap them around between units, you know, between events. So like, it's a really handy little product. Um, they did a Kickstarter for what they call battle ready terrain. And the idea was here is card terrain that is made out of, printed dense cardboard with magnets laid in it so that uh, it's basically all folded up and then it unfolds. And then with the magnets in there, that's how you put in the uh, like the floors in the buildings and like close up like the shipping containers and everything they have. And it is a four by six tables worth of terrain. Um, The retail price is going to be $105. The Kickstarter price Was like 84, I think, and it was 79 for me because I was an early bird backer. Like, I saw it and I'm like, I want to back this. This seems like a neat idea. Mm -hmm. The whole thing fits into a box that is six inches tall by 13 by nine, so a little bit larger than a shoe box. And that's a full table's worth of terrain. Every piece has neoprene on the bottom so that when it unfolds, it's got like a so it won't shift on your table. Um, it includes basically like four big corner ruins, which are like, I think the floor, the footprint on them, something like seven, like eight by nine or seven by eight, something like that. And they're about like nine inches tall. Um, so it nice line of sight blocking corner ruins. Uh, you can punch out the windows. The doors are partially cut so that they can pivot in and out the, uh, It comes with like a neoprene area terrain pieces, which you can flip to either be like rubble and grass or craters. So you get like four of those. They give you eight trees that you slot together, uh, four cargo crates that you like, like fold over and pop up. And uh, then I went ahead and got an upgrade for like 16 bucks that added two one half, two story buildings. Nice. And so I had a chance to start assembling it today. It doesn't require a lot of assembly because again, it's mostly folded up. Um, they, the one thing they do have is there are little like plastic bump, what they call bumpers, that you put on on particular space spots that are marked on the the cardboard, and that gives the the floors a little bit of extra support, something to actually like f- lock them in place. But so far, it looks pretty good. Um, I mean, it does have the issue of it is cardboard, so it can be relatively easy da- easily damaged if you're not careful. Um, some of the windows, like the die cutting on them isn't perfect. So when you try to punch them out, you can, if you're not careful, tear the the printed paper a little bit. But the neoprene seems to work pretty well. They did notice that – they did note that on the uh, cargo containers, some of the um, magnets, like the – the their, the magnets are embedded in the cardboard. And because of that, they don't directly touch. So sometimes the connection is not as strong as they want. Um, they're going to make a little metal inserts available for free on their website. And they're going incre- to include them in like future production kits. So you basically put this little middle insert and both magnets can connect to that. But all told, like it seems to do what it says on the tin. It's it's a table's worth of terrain that fits in a cardboard box nice for a hundred bucks. That you don't have to paint. And the assembly is really is literally like, peel these rubber bumpers off of sticker, put on cardboard. And then they still fold up even with the bumpers on there. So, um, like, I want to play around with it more, see what a table of it looks like set up. Like I said, I just got these in yesterday, so I haven't – I've had a chance to assemble a couple of the buildings and kind of get a feel for how they look. I I set up some models on them, and I'm using – like I used my sisters with resin bases, so they'd be a little bit heavier and it seems to hold pretty, pretty well. I didn't see any problems with like, now if I loaded them up with a bunch of my metal sisters, we'll see how that holds. (laughs) I do want to, I want to test that, but like, it looks like it's a pretty decent product. Um, 105 bucks for a, a, table's worth of terrain is no nothing I'm going to complain about and they do it in like four different styles I went ahead with gothic ruins because 40k but there's like a cyberpunk one if you're playing more like infinity Um, there's a fantasy themed one a wasteland themed one so depending on what kinds of games you're playing or what look you're going for they've got a few different options And while I don't think the implementation is perfect, I think, like, there, like I said, there's, there's some production issues and they even mentioned on, like, they, I will say on their Kickstarter, uh, updates, they've been pretty open about, like, yeah, the magnets didn't work here quite as well as we'd hoped or, hey, yeah, this is all hand assembled, uh, card laminated cardboard sometimes like if some of the uh the printed paper starts to peel up yeah you can just put some glue on it and put some pressure on it and it'll glue back shuts mm. it's like it's just one of the concerns about cardboard so given the limitations of the material uh and it did take them a few months longer they were originally hoping to deliver this in like July it's now January of the next year and it's it's just now going out but uh all told i think it's not a bad alternative uh, you know, we've had people who are like, "I want to get. A, what's the cheapest way I can get a, a table's worth of terrain set up?" And I think I had mentioned that this was in development. Having played with this, this is not a bad way to go if you want it If you want a table's worth of terrain that you do not have to really assemble in any meaningful way, you don't have to paint, and that takes up like no space <laughs> once you're done. Like if you play a lot of kitchen table Warhammer, this is a great up. A great solution i mean yeah you've got like frontline making like printed like like pre-printed mdf with like all the artwork already done on it but that's still like once you assemble it you still have terrain mm. you have to store in large tubs this in, in the the size of one of those tubs for holding terrain you could probably hold four tables worth of this each in its own nice. discrete case so i i th- i think it's a great idea for a product like i said i want to use it some more and see how it actually pans out but i think stuff like this should be encouraged to try to find different solutions to the problem of how do i how do i set up a decent looking table on a relatively small budget and this is a solution Mm -hmm. for that so i want to encourage that kind of thinking on
0: products is anything from you kev
1: oh i've been moving for the last like
2: two months so i i haven't done anything
0: (laughs) okay i I guess zero
2: progress
0: (laughs) oh that's fine i've done similar in the past when i moved uh i guess for me i did get the sagittars done and i got the land fortress done um so i have my first i guess two thousand point Votan Army ready to go. Unfortunately, the nice. RTT that's coming up is already sold out here. Aww. So the local game, gang- yeah. I mean, they only can have 16 people in the store, and that's fair. Uh, for- 40K has gotten really popular in the area, so it's it's actually hard to get <laughs> involved other than the bigger events. But yeah, like I mentioned earlier in the show, I was working on Pioneers. Because if I can finish these six pioneers, finish the, um, iron master, put together two more Sagittar or Sagittarius and paint them, um, then that will be the second list I'm going for. And then my third list is going to be lots of extra. Things. I've got 10 more Hearthguard, 12 berserkers. I say 12 because you have the extra ones for in the box, I guess, in the moles, grenades, and a call and a champ, and if I get all those done, then that's pretty much everything I've already got primed, and it would just leave me with all of my stuff to build, which 40 of my to-build stuff are warriors. And I hate saying this, but with Arcs of Omen, I might build one squad of those 40 that are sitting out there, but with troops not being a necessity anymore... Mm-hmm. I might just be happy with the three squads of troops I already have and, and just use them as needed, especially since one of those three squads of troops is fully magnetized so I can put pretty much whatever guns I want on them. So I hate saying that, but some of my Voton warriors might stay as gray plastic for question mark long time. I mean, mm-hmm. oh yeah, they're not even built yet. So yeah. But yeah, that's what I've done and what I plan on working on for the next time.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm excited to see pictures of this like of your 2000 point uh Votan army and I, and hopefully you get to get to an event soon where you can try it out. I I I want to hear how it does. I really want well, to cuz
0: worst I mean, I had my idea in my head that I've got three lists kind of planned out that I can revise now a little bit with the new rules. And I'd kind of like to try each of them out prior to Midwest Conquest, and then pick one, and then probably that's what I'll bring to Midwest Conquest. Although I don't know that you'll play against it, Rob, because I think we've determined—I hate saying this, but Votan would not be a air-quote friendly army, even if you tried to build it that way. So I'm probably going to sign up for the GT in the next like week or two so I can get in before the price increase happens.
2: Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> Yeah, price, inc- price increase for Midwest Conquest goes in, goes on uh, February 1st. So if you're interested in the GT or the Friendly, please sign up now. You'll get a discount.
1: Yep. Uh, yeah, it'll be at MidwestConquest.com to sign up for those ahead of the price increase. Um, I will probably be sticking with the, the Friendly. I guess we'll have to determine, Kevin, are we going to use Arcs of Omen detachments for the Friendly or are you so- use old school de- development?
2: So very interesting. Uh, enough. So uh, uh, LVO friendly is in uh, end of the month. So uh, and I was looking at this LVO and the LVO friendly are using the Nephilim mission packs. So they're There's, not okay, using
1: they're ar- still.
2: They're okay. not going to use ar- arcs of omen, which I thought is interesting. I don't I- think that
0: surprises me, Kev, because that's what the end of this month. So yeah, people would have two weeks like two to weeks. prep for a brand new system.
2: Yeah, it's, it's it's interesting, because, like, I don't know, like I said, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that they didn't, that they're not using it, but,
0: yeah. I'm uh, not, because I mean, people they can, have played this, yeah. practiced, and trained, because LVO is the biggest event out there, sure. so for all yeah. the competitive people that have been playing their old styles and getting it down, giving everybody just two weeks to try and swap everything yeah. over is kind of much.
2: Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting, but, uh, so I don't necessarily have a problem with using the arcs of omen detachment for the friendly. I want to, t- they're also making some changes, to the LVO friendly this year. So I'm want to see how those play out. I might change some of the scoring around a little bit, which is something I've talked about before. And I know Richard and I want to try to come up with a, a painting rubric for, uh, for the friendly and potentially for the GT. Uh, so there's, there's a few things that I, I, I still am a little bit up in the air on, so the mission pack for the friendly hasn't been completed yet, but it will be hopefully in another month or so.
0: I've got an easy idea for painting. You give What's them that? a point for every distinct color you see on the army.
1: Um, <laughs> that's asking for trouble? Yeah, that sounds terrible.
0: That I sounds think it sounds terrible. hilarious.
1: This, these, this is the Jackson Pollock chapter of Space Marines, or the Lisa Frank chapter of Space Marines. I mean, it is a way to get your army painted quickly, I guess. Although, there's an artist, there, there's a mini painter who I'll have to track down their name, because they, they've been doing some fantastic work. They've been doing some pride-themed Space Marines with, like, really vibrant colors. Oh, cool. And it looks really good. So I I will uh, try to dig those up sometime and send you a link because because like it shows that you can do like bright vibrant colors and they still look great, but yeah. but I I think going like rainbow bright Lisa Frank style would be uh like intentionally mimicking that style and trying to fit as much color as you can on there could could, could not be a great idea. So it's <laughs> like I, rainbow Marines are fine. Lisa Frank Marines, I think, is pushing it too
0: far. Yeah. Well, well, Kevin, uh, at least you can't say I didn't try to give you any ideas.
2: <laughs> I would wish you. I wish you would stop.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, um, so uh, this this would take us to the morale phase, and I'm going to keep this one brief because we are like at four and a half hours of recording, Woo-hoo. but uh, um. Uh this is this normally the morale phase is something that we are are that we we have been excited about or have been enjoying. Um this one I I think you had kind of dropped a possible hint about it earlier Kevin and so yeah, I'm just figured gonna take, we want to talk about it. <laughs> I'm going to take that and run with it and uh, this is a morale phase in that we need some morale right now cuz this kind of sucks and that is the open gaming license uh specifically as refer as uh, relates to Dungeons and Dragons although uh, well, let me get into the basic topic. Over the last 20 years, uh Dungeons & Dragons has been released with a, a license kind of alongside it called the Open Gaming License. You may already be aware of this. But if you're not, the Open Gaming License is the idea that Dungeons & Dragons, it, when 3rd Edition came out in 2000, they decided, well, we want the gaming market to take this new version of D and D and embrace it and extend it and be able to build on top of it because we want, and Ryan Dancy who was head of like D and D at the time, uh like head of the development and everything basically wanted Dungeons and Dragons and that D 20 based rule set to be like the most popular rule set. And so to do that, they created what they called the open gaming license and they released most of the rules As a document called the system resource document. And they said basically you can build your own stuff on top of this. All you have to do is whenever you print. Whenever you release something that is compatible with D&D. You can't say it's compatible with D&D. Because that's a trademark. But you can say it's compatible with um, third. Like the the current edition of the most popular role playing game. Is usually how the products were labeled. But you could basically say this is OGL. Uh, licensed and that basically said you released your yourself your stuff as ogl you can build it on top of this system resource document and then other people can build on top of what you've released which is yeah. why you would see like in a lot of third edition products um stuff from like green ronin might have or like stuff from paizo might have monsters from a green ronin supplement or something like that yeah couldn't have any of the fluff in it but they could bring in the rules and This was a system that was in place, like I said, has been in place for the last 22 years. And during like now in when D&D had fourth edition, they broke away from that, but they still left the old gaming license in place. They just tried to do a separate game system license for fourth edition. Most people said no, because the restrictions on the game system license were pretty bad. They're like. Because it was basically like, oh, yeah, if uh, Wizards of the Coast decides to do their own version of something you did, you have to stop printing yours and you can't have yeah. fourth edition and other editions of D&D stuff in the same brand. And so pe- most people were like, no, nah, thanks. We're just going to stick with the OGL. And that's why we have games like Pathfinder, which was Pathfinder was basically what if we just keep kept making third edition D&D and yeah. ex- expanding upon and- that. And not even necessarily just, you know, fantasy
2: games, but Starfinder, which also played Paizo or Mutants and Masterminds um, were all published under, you know, the under that OGL. So it's, you know, effectively the, the engine, it uses the 3 Dungeons and Dragons engines, but like superhero game, space game, you know, other fantasy games. So like there's a lot of. A lot of the gaming industry itself at this point is kind of runs off of this because a lot of companies that have produced their own games have kind of built their company reputation off of, you know, starting with things that were in the OGL.
1: And not just D&D or D20 related stuff. Um, Evil Hat Games, which does The Fate Rule mm-hmm. system, um, they release their stuff under the OGL. They do not use any D and D mechanics. They do not u- you know they're not tied to the the system resource document for D and D at all. But because they wanted people to be able to take their stuff and extend it, they put out like their own equivalent of the systems rule systems resource document and released that under OGL 1.0. I think 1.0A is the current version, which had some very minor tweaks, nothing really important, but they released it under that basically saying, hey, you can extend our stuff the same way D&D is letting you extend theirs. Um, so mm-hmm. there's been a number of companies that have done that. Um, when fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons came out, they decided to re-release it under the OGL 1.0A. And that is why we've had such a huge burst of third-party products created to kind of fill in the areas that Wizards has decided not to produce product for, for D&D. People releasing their own, uh, settings or campaigns or adventures, uh, their own supplements, uh, rules changes, like, Spelljammer came out this year for DD, and there's a lot of people who are like, eh, I like it, but I want more space combat rules. So people released space combat rules using the OGL because they like that wizards didn't do what I wanted or what I needed, so I'm going to write my own and release it. And that has been the case for the last 22 years. And in fact, they had an FAQ on their website that said, Hey, can wizards. What happens if Wizards changes the license? Can Wizards change the terms of this license? And the FAQ said, well, yeah, Wizards could change the terms of the license. We're the ones that put the license out. But you could always just stick with using the old license. You Like, you can't – like, there's no incentive for us to change the terms because you could just decide, no, I'm just going to use license 1.0A. That is until last month, in December 2022 – I think in December 8th, I want to say is the date, a recording of an investor meeting with the head of Wizards of the Coast was released. And basically, the head of Wizards of the Coast said, D&D is a a successful brand. It's more successful than it's ever been before, but we think it's under-monetized, and we want to kind of get people moving into like a subscription model. Now, they had bought D&D Beyond, which was a subscription-based system for managing your characters and running campaigns – and so they're it's like okay, people want, they want us to buy stuff on D and D Beyond. Okay, fine. Well, people started getting nervous and asking, so what does that mean for the Open Gaming License? Because D and D Beyond doesn't allow third party content. And Wizards of the Coast, on December 22nd, I believe, released a doc, uh, a, an article saying, "Is the OGL going to change? Yeah, it's going to change. We're we are going to put in terms for us to collect royalties." for companies that produce like really big successful products. Uh, But we we figured it's it's not going to really affect anybody. It's going to be a pretty minor change. We are going to put out a new version of the OGL that we are going to do that. And it's going to have some of these royalty terms in it. But otherwise, you know, it's that that's all. And this is all in preparation for the next edition of D&D, which is called One D&D and is currently in playtesting right now. Well, this past week... A leaked version of the OGL 1.1 was released to a number, uh, a, a couple of, um, like I think some lawyers have gotten hold of it and also a journalist over at IO9 at Gizmodo got a ca- copy of it and, uh, they released an article about it. And basically there's two licenses. There's a non-commercial and there's a commercial license. The commercial, the non-commercial license says, yeah, you can use this stuff. And there's a whole bunch of guidelines of what you are and aren't allowed to to use it for. Like, you can only use it for print materials or static electronic formats, such as PDFs. You can't do video. You can't do software. You can't do music. You can't – like, there's a whole list of things you can't do. They say that's to protect them from people trying to mint, like, NFTs based on D&D. And it does do that, but it also locks down people from doing, like, Roll20-style virtual tabletops, for example. Mm -hmm. Or – All the YouTubers that release content that have rules about D&D would technically be in violation of the the OGL. They also say that anything you release under this OGL, we can tell you to stop using the OGL with a 30-day warning, but you give us the right to use your stuff forever, and we can reprint it however much we want. Not good. There's also the commercial license, which says, like, hey, if you make – like, there's these different tiers, and if you are in the third tier where you make $750,000 of revenue, not profit, revenue on your products in a year, you have to report to us, and we take 25% royalties of everything over that 750 dollars And now you're thinking, well, how many people are making that kind of money? have you seen how many Kickstarters are successful for D and D products yeah. where they have, they have like a million dollar Kickstarter on something like somebody on YouTube decided to put together and got some artists and writers together and they put out a product and maybe they advertise it on critical role, which is a whole nother issue that's tied to this. Yeah, And uh, it suddenly goes to the stratosphere and now suddenly they're going to owe 25% royalties. Oh, and by the way, Wizards can adjust the terms of that at any time and lower that number and lower that number until they can kind of dial in where they start getting your money. Now, that would all, so new terms of the license, right? Well, that FAQ said, but if games or games, see, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. <laughs> You're we're doing so it. Used yeah. to, we're so used to, <laughs> to Games Workshop theoretically being the bad guy. There's a, there's a meme going around <laughs> darn it, Games Workshop. What? Oh, I'm sorry. I, didn't I just what do they? Force uh, of <laughs> just, Yeah, force of habit. So um, So, <sighs> but yeah, Wizards of the Coast is saying, "Oh no, we're rendering version 1.0a no longer valid. It is no longer an authorized contract. Therefore, you can't use it anymore. Everything has to be 1.1 now, which means every prov- every developer, every third party writer, producer." publisher who has released anything under the OGL will suddenly have to either agree to these terms or stop producing things it's a direct shot on (laughs) yeah it's a direct shot at the rest of the gaming industry and at D&D's fan base because a lot of the fan base has been using these products a lot a lot of them have been like coming up with these things in their spare time to sell and like drive through RPG or, or releasing them via their Patreons a lot of people do videos there's a lot of youtubers who do d and d content who would not be allowed to do d and d content anymore yeah and it's not a good scene uh as of recording this is uh we were recording on uh sunday january eighth twenty twenty three uh Wizard of the Coast has not come out and said whether this is a, v- a legit document or not. I think their silence uh s- says volumes. Because this has oh. been confirmed by Kickstarter, because they approached Kickstarter and said, yeah, we want 25% off the top of any, kick, of any uh, crowdfunding for D&D products. And Kickstarter was able to negotiate them down to 20. So they've confirmed, well. and they have confirmed that, yep, yep, that's, this is similar to what we saw. What was out there
2: was a draft version, so it is entirely possible that it could change. They could see the public backlash uh, of Actually, this, like- no,
1: no, it's not uh there's a third party developer um who has said no this wasn't anybody who tells you it's a draft is false because it came with contracts attached
2: okay fair enough
1: <laughs> yeah so yeah. no this is this is what they're floating out there um they did apparently say in the document that if there is enough of a, a pushback against it they might change their terms that may still happen because i yeah. this has been universally panned everyone exactly. disliked this to quote the fallout 4 meme but uh the, it's not good but the thing is at this point because they're floating the idea that they can revoke the the license even though the person who was behind the creation of this license has specifically said they don't have the right to revoke it you should always be able to use the older license they're yeah. gonna try I- and nobody wants to go tangle with a billion dollar company in court
2: I mean, it is, that's what's ultimately going to happen though. If they, if they go through with this in the current way they're doing it, companies like Paizo, companies like Green Ronin, other small creators doing class action lawsuits are going to sue them because it, it like, it completely destroys Paizo's business model as is. Like, and I, and I'm there, you know, Paizo's not, Nearly as big as Hasbro or Wizards of the Coast, but they're still a pretty decent sized company so mm-hmm. i i they're gonna people are going to fight this um and I think that maybe the fact that you're gonna that their silence right now is an indication that maybe they are trying to make adjustments to it or or saying that like maybe we need to take a step back and look at this because That's- it's it's bad. Well, <laughs> it's really they bad. don't
1: have, they don't have much time because apparently this document that they were handing out said it was going to go into effect January 13th of this year. So in less than a week, yeah. which is interesting because as we said, <sighs> that new version of D and D that they're working on, that's still in the early playtest mode. It's not going to yeah. be available till next year, like 2024 at the sometime. earliest. Yeah. At the earliest. at the earliest. So this is just. Bad. Like this is just really a, a bad thing. I mean, it would. I mean, we've had we, like we've talked about like Games Workshop going after like Chapter House or going after yeah. you know like three D like people who do three D modeling and and but this There's, would be like this would be like the, if uh, they decided to go after like the game studios who have been producing like forty K con like video games.
2: Yes. Yeah, I mean. There is there is an element of this where, like, I, I will, not to defend you know, Wizards of the Coast or anything like that, but, like, there's an element of, like, it's our product, it's our IP, we want to monetize it, we want to control what's out there, because... You know on the the flip side of the the completely wide open o g l they have is there was a lot of shovelware out there as well, oh yeah, you, know? so like oh, I get it th- th- third edition had some absolute yeah. garbage products out there, so so I get it, they don't want to dilute their brand, they want to try to run it a little tighter a ship. what this is this is way too restrictive though because again, yes, they are competing with companies like Paizo and Green Ronin and, you know, other of all of the other game companies out there. But it's also in a, a situation where uh, Rising Tide lifts all boats. If Watsi and Paizo and these other companies are out there and are able to put products out there and sell more products to people, that's good for everybody in this industry. And, yeah, just, it, it's... I don't know. It's just such a bad idea. And it, it feels like they're Talking about, like, you know, earlier GW making the same mistake of Kill Team Arena, uh, it kind of feels like they're making the same mistakes that they made with 4th Edition. And, you know, the reason why Paizo exists and has as much of a market share as they do is because of 4th Edition. People rejected 4th Edition. They went to play Pathfinder. You know, people... At the same time that they, you know, that D and D fell off with those, you know, with fourth edition, that's when things like Dungeon World and Apocalypse World and a lot of these indie games got started, and this explosion of content creators and other games out there, and like that's good as a whole for the industry, but. It's better for the industry when Watsy is like working with the industry and letting people produce things, uh, mm-hmm. and not trying to get litigious and sue everybody out of existence.
1: So, right, well, it's they're making the mistakes that TSR made near the end of their yes. lifespan, which is why TSR became known for they sue regularly because if you made anything yep. that was remotely D and D compatible, they'd go after you. Um, and so we're possibly entering that stage. I would also like to point out another difference between like, you know, we talked about, you know, good guy and bad guy, GW good guy. GW happened when they got a new CEO who was somebody who had worked at games workshop and had come up through the entire company and was a gamer and understood the idea of gamers and understood the market. And I think we've seen that in the way games workshop is run. Now, Mm -hmm. my complaints about the pricing of boarding action, you know, regardless this is a much more reactive positive interacting with the community games workshop than we ever had and as a result i think fourth i think uh i think warhammer 40k is actually in a better spot even if we've had balance issues and things like that yeah the health of the community is better than it ever has been i think and whereas over on the wizards of the coast side The current CEO of Wizards of the Coast is somebody who did not come up through gaming. They came up from Microsoft and Amazon. Yeah. And the current head of D&D development is someone who came up from Amazon, I believe. It's like these people are brought in from the C-suite to be numbers people and figure out how to squeeze as much money out of this as possible to make Hasbro's investors happy. These people do not care – about how the what the gaming industry needs, what the gaming community needs. Now that's to say that is the executives, the people who are developing One D and D. The people like Jeremy Crawford, the guy who's like lead developer for D and D right now. I don't think this is his call. I I can't speak for him. Obviously, I don't know him. I've never talked with him, but I can't imagine he's happy with the response that. Is happening right now and I don't think he had anything to do with this decision this this smells like a money decision like we're not making all the money we could make all the money and like the document they released basically said well we never intended the OGL to fund our competitors it's like anybody making a book for D&D that wasn't your stuff was a competitor I mean they were always competitors you knew what you were doing and for 20 years you said that's fine you explicitly said that's fine, which is one of the things like there's a whole concept of a estoppel where it's like if you make a promise and then you renege on it. <laughs> And people have made business decisions based on that promise that you're in legal hot water, which is one reason why, strangely enough, Wizards of the Coast has never reprinted a lot of cards for magic that they have on what they call the reserved list because they said, we're never reprinting these cards. And so people made financial decisions based on that. And when they said, well, maybe we will reprint them, they were threatened with legal action because it's like, hey, you promised. You made yeah. basically a gentleman's agreement that you would never do this and made it very public and made it a company policy. And so we made our decisions based on that. You cannot turn around and then pull the the wool out from under us. You, know, you can't do a rug pull on us. And that's yeah. what this is. This is very much a rug pull on the entire gaming community. Yeah, it's not great. <laughs> it is not great. Oh, Dennis has sent pictures. Okay, those that's looking pretty slick there,
0: Dennis. Yeah, I just have to do basing on it. I don't consider that much because it's mostly just Flocking, getting them yeah. the flock shape. Yeah,
1: nice. Oh, that looks good. No, they look good.
2: Well, I know we've kind of ended on a couple of down notes here, but uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I'm excited for the Stars of Omen stuff. I, I do think that that's they're heading in the right direction, and
1: hopefully, hopefully, this stuff will take off and uh, I, I, you know, yeah we'll no I th- spot. <laughs> i'm excited for the season i'm excited for the tournament packet i think I, I really like the army building there and i'd like to see some like if when people come up with alternate solutions for the uh boarding action terrain i'm i'm totally on board for that i, I think the gameplay looks cool so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious to see what happens with that so it i don't want it to be all doom and gloom there's really good stuff here so don't do yeah. you know don't don't take away just the, uh, the terrain. The terrain is pricey. That's the worst thing I can say. The rest of this is, it, but it looks really fun. Yeah. Well, that'll go ahead and wrap up episode 272. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with uh, possibly some more updates on upcoming things. But uh, until then, from all of us here at Preferred Enemies, I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. Uh, Good night. Good gaming. And yeah, this is like a cool way to build two cool ways to build armies.